Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 57. Um, the important thing that I want to tell you today is that my new album, Masks, is out this Friday, May 8th, um, everywhere in all the places, Apple Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube. Um, please go listen to it. I'm so proud of it. I'm so excited about it. Um, and if you haven't yet heard me talk about the digital launch, um, even if the album has already come out, I'd love for you to go through that because it's, um, I really, I struggle to describe it. Um, it's kind of a different thing, but, but basically I've used, uh, email and, um, like hidden web pages to host a ton of artwork and, you know, additional like storytelling and behind the scenes things. And it's, it's, it's really like a whole separate art project in addition to, um, the album and really like the values that I try to uphold on this podcast. Um, I've put into practice there and have featured art from so many other creatives and have, um, provided ways for, for it to be interactive so that, um, people going, going through the, the performance art piece or the digital series, or, you know, I'm not sure what to call it, um, can also like comment and interact. Um, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And I, and I think it's cool. Um, and I think, uh, it's the kind of thing that if, if you like art, you're going to like it. So, um, it's really simple if you want to see that and, and kind of go through the, um, go through the series, um, it's you can you can go to emvocals.com slash invite hyphen only emvocals.com slash invite hyphen only um and it, it will subscribe you to my mailing list um but it'll send you into like an auto an email automation where you'll get um you'll have delivered this um this 10 part series um and then if you want to unsubscribe afterward, that's totally fine. Email is just the delivery system for this, this series. So, um, I, I'd love for you to see it. It's, and it's free and it's, it's pretty cool. Um, okay. So for the month of May, I am doing a little, um, a little special series. Uh, I mentioned it last week, but I had to cancel a whole bunch of interviews that I had scheduled um, in person here in Utah in April and May um, because of coronavirus. And I was really nervous to set up Zoom interviews for a lot of reasons, like one being, you know, capturing good audio over Zoom is not something that I am really equipped to do or have learned how to do. And the the way that I like to do interviews is so kind of like intimate and, and pretty personal. And I try to rely a lot on body language and, you know, being in the same space together with my guests has, has really become, um, part of my, um, my like interview style. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do zoom interviews, um, I want to interview people that I already kind of know. I thought, I thought it might kind of help, um, mitigate the the complications with zoom so i decided to make the month of may a little north texas series which is uh, my alma mater so the month of may is all people that i met from school all musicians just four interviews in a row um with musicians and and then my hope is that um by the end of may i'll be able to start doing some in-person interviews again so that come june um i can i can start 
interviewing, releasing episodes um, again that are that are normal. So so that's my hope. Um, we'll see we'll see what happens, and and if not, then I'll I'll think of something else um, interesting to do for the month of June um, and beyond. So the first person that I thought of that I wanted to interview was my dear, dear friend, Catherine. Um, it's hard for me to even explain how, um, important Catherine is to me. Um, but I'll tell you guys like a, like a little anecdote. Um, I think most of you know, my mom died of brain cancer a couple of years ago. And when she was diagnosed, it was such a shock to me. I think um, the people who were in Arizona with her were starting to see some symptoms, but I hadn't heard anything about it. I had no idea, not an idea whatsoever that she had any symptoms or was sick in any way. And she was 50 years old and, you know, otherwise in great health, um, like exercised a lot. And, um, and, and so my experience that day was, um, I, I got up, I had gone up, gotten up pretty early and gone to the gym. And when I got home from the gym, um, I just had a text message from my dad that just said, uh, mom has a brain tumor and she's going in for surgery tomorrow. And, and I, I don't remember that much from that day, but, but I do know that, um, I saw that text and just like, did not process it at all. Like, I think my brain was just like fully in shock. And I just like put my phone down and like was working like normal, just on my computer doing, you know, whatever I was working on. And then like maybe two hours later, I like remembered that I had like gotten this text and it felt like a dream or something. Like it felt so strange. And I thought, wait, did I get a text saying that my mom was going in for brain surgery tomorrow? And then like opened the text message and like just like lost it, like kind of freaked out. And I, like I said, I, I don't remember much about that day, but, um, but, uh, Catherine told me later that I called her, um, in this like totally foggy, like checked out, like dissociated state. I, I called Catherine and she like talked me through like, you know, getting a plane ticket, um, which should tell you, which should tell you how, um, how much I trust her that like in my total, like checked out panic, whatever, like I've never experienced anything like that. Um, Catherine was a person that I called. Um, and I'll just say for the record, I also called my friend Brittany from Arizona from high school. Um, and I, I don't really remember either of those phone calls, but those two women helped me through that day. So, um, so I'm excited for you guys to hear from Catherine. Um, the, the zoom zoom is, it's, was difficult for me to record an interview and for us to do the interview, but I think, I think I've mostly salvaged the audio. Um, this is really stretching my comfort zone and stretching my skill set. Um, but I love this conversation with Catherine, and um, and I and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. I hope you can kind of um, forgive like a couple of little glitchy moments. So okay, I'm gonna read Catherine's bio now. Catherine Latchie is a singer, songwriter, pianist, band leader, and educator from Chicago with equal appreciation for jazz, folk and country, and 60s pop. Catherine uses her inviting tone and playful harmonic approach to tell stories across genres. In 2011, Catherine graduated from the University of North Texas with a Master of Music in Jazz Studies, where she was privileged to have held a teaching fellowship and studied with Paris Rutherford, Rosanna Eckert, and other esteemed musicians and educators. 
Catherine is half of the songwriting duo, duo The Wild Rumors, formed in 2019 with her longtime friend and music collaborator Josh Murtha, and he also went to school with us. Um, halfway between country and rootsy pop with a jazz sensibility, the Wild Rumors deliver, deliver simple, beautiful, and lyric-forward tunes. Their debut album is set for release in 2020 if the world holds up. Oh, um, you guys... I just, I can't tell you enough how much I love Catherine and how just insightful and thoughtful she is. Um, thank you for being with us and with me through this totally bizarre time. Um, I'm doing everything I can to just keep delivering you guys beautiful, artful content um, with creatives who are, um, you know, who are perfect for these conversations and who can teach us about how to maintain creative resilience and how to maintain creativity and and curiosity in a time when I just don't know that it's ever like been more important in our lifetimes than it is right now um and and uh and so thank you and and I hope that uh I hope that you can kind of appreciate what it is that I'm that I'm trying to do and that we're trying to do and don't forget to listen to masks dropping this Friday, May 8th, 2020. And without further ado, here is my beautiful, amazing friend, Catherine. Enjoy it. Sometimes art feels like magic, pure, visionary. And sometimes it's brought to you in part by focus groups and algorithms. And the makers of art are no different. We're creatives, sure, but we're also salespeople. We need imagination and imitation. We need deep, meaningful connections, but we also have to network. Yep, even if you're an introvert. And that's my point. Balancing vulnerability with veneer is tricky, and it's a struggle we don't often share. So let's share. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by The Voice Straw. Back in episode 36, I interviewed Justin Timberlake's voice teacher, the amazing Mindy Pack. Mindy just launched this incredible new product designed to improve the quality of singing and vocal performance through science and proper technique. The Voice Straw is a vocal training tool for singers, actors, and speakers. It helps relieve tension, strain, breathiness, cracking, and flipping in the voice. Scientifically shown to improve singing technique, a must-have tool for anyone looking for vocal success. Head to www.voicestraw.com and enter promo code ARTIFICE10, that's all caps, A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-1-0, for 10% off your purchase today. So, um, so I'll tell the listeners, my Catherine is my friend from college and easily my best friend from college, you know, I just, it's not, it's not a contest. Um, it's Catherine. So, um, so, uh, we're going to try to do a normal interview and I'm going to try to not interrupt Catherine, even though it's a big problem that I have. <laughs> so... I start with everybody in the same place, which is, tell me what you were like as a creative child. What were you busy about with creative stuff? Oh, young Catherine, where to even start? <laughs> I think it's weird. I was, 
I mean, I'm extroverted now, but I think I was extroverted to a degree that I can't even quite describe <laughs> adequately. Um, I just remember there's this like picture of me from preschool where my mouth is wide open, like I'm mid-sentence. And my dad was like, yeah, you're probably just trying to talk to the photographer. <laughs> it was just anyone. Like, stranger danger was like not a thing that I observed. I was just talking to everyone all the time. And I had no, when you're a kid, you just have no filter yet. I, um, so yeah, I was big into just like talking to everyone I met. I, I think in elementary school, I had this idea that I wanted to be an author. So I would like write and illustrate all these children's books that were mostly about like horses, I think. <laughs> horses are such a thing. I, t I talk to so many artists who like, I mean, especially female artists, I think, who were like entranced by horses as children or like dolphins. Totally. Both. Both. Because Lisa Frank also was a thing. Um, but I think they're both... Yeah. I think like we think of like horses and dolphins as being, you know, they're like creatures that you have like a relationship with. Um, they're like powerful, yeah. they have their own like intelligence. There's something about it that's very like, I don't know, like magical, I think from, from a child's imagination. So totally. It was also one of like five things draw. So I think that was helpful and yeah. <laughs> illustrating. Um, I, I guess too with music, I mean, I feel like I had creativity in a lot of different areas of my life and I was just, I don't know, I was a kid who was always, I'm, I'm like most kids, right? You're just always like creating storylines with like your toys or in your head or, um, yeah, I feel like, I don't know. And we lose a lot of that as we get older too, um, just through like self-awareness and, um, and things like that. But I guess with music. I started playing Suzuki violin in kindergarten, which I still thank my parents for letting me be a five-year-old learning how to play the violin, which, you know, it's piano where like the second you play a note, you're like, oh, this sounds like a thing that I could listen to. <laughs> how did you, um, like, did you have to like convince them to like let you play a violin or like where did that, how did that begin? I guess we had maybe the junior high or high school orchestra come to my elementary school. And I just went home that day after hearing the orchestra play. And I was like, I want to play the violin, which it's so interesting to me. Cause now if I were going to play a stringed instrument, I think I would gravitate more towards like cello or viola. Cause I, I've always liked kind of the darker tambored instruments. Yeah. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I was like, I'm going to play a tiny, tiny, little violin so poorly <laughs> like what did what, like what did they was there a conversation like are you sure or were like what how did they react you know I I don't I'm not totally sure but I feel like they they were just always pretty supportive when it came to music and just letting us try um my brother and I like tried different things so I don't think there was any pushback I think it was just like, okay, especially because I was the one um, who showed interest in it. And I think a lot of times as, and I'm sure you've had a handful of students like this in your lifetime too, where a lot of times it can be the parents who are kind of pushing, especially with piano and, um, and young students. Um, but I guess maybe because it was my idea, my parents were, were super supportive of it. That's right. Really um,
Yeah. And I think really hands-on too. Like I remember my mom would come to my violin lessons with me partially because I was a five-year-old alone under a stairwell with a man probably. (laughs) Isn't the Suzuki method, like, doesn't it like mandate that parents be pretty involved? Actually, that might be true. That would make sense. Andrew's mom teaches Suzuki piano and I know that's her, like she, she has like really strict, um, like assignments for like the parents. Yeah. So they're sort of the ones that would make sense. Cause I remember my mom was always taking super thorough notes. And when I was practicing, I mean, she didn't play violin, but when I was practicing, she would be like, Oh, I think that's your four or like, don't forget. (laughs) So yeah, you have to learn, I guess at least to a level where you can sort of like coach, um, coach your child. Totally. Like this is something that I have been thinking about a ton lately with some of my, I I have, I know, I'm sure you experienced this too, but like when you have, I, I swear, like the types of things you're working on with students, like go in phases. Um, like I'll be like, why is this a theme? Like, why is everyone needing to talk about this right now? Or maybe me, but, um, lately I've been, I have this whole batch of students that's like, you know, they tell me like, I, I'm really serious about music, but like, and when they're in their lesson, they're really responsive. And then like, when they go home, it's just like blank. It's like nothing happening. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, totally. And I I think, go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, finish with that. Go ahead. <laughs> I just I think sometimes I acknowledge that. I know it's so hard. There's also probably like a three second lag. <laughs> yeah. But I think too, I sometimes acknowledge that as a teacher, especially when I'm explaining um, theory concepts where they'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, okay, so now pretend you're home and you're, <laughs> and you're trying to do this and I'm not there. Because you can almost see, because I remember being that sort of child where like a concept made sense to me in a lesson. Oh, I'm so sorry. My dog is like having a party. <laughs> right? Or are you fostering? Is that Harriet? Oh, no, this is Harriet. Yeah. She just, whenever I'm laughing, she thinks we're playing and she like starts playing with her toy. But, but yeah, I think like, just going to want to see you, but he doesn't, Bear, Bear's not around. Now that Andrew's working from home, like he is like, he's with Andrew all day so rude <laughs> take take your bear to work day yeah he has like fully rejected me since andrew has started working from home. <laughs> rude <laughs> I was like Catherine didn't want to see you but oh yeah. maybe at the end yeah he's nowhere to be i mean we could take the laptop up and be like here's bear but he's laying by <laughs> andrew's feet for sure oh yeah um <laughs> Yeah, no, I do the same thing. Like I'll, I'll, in those moments, I'll turn on my recorder and be like, okay, now explain this to yourself for when you're at home and you don't remember this. Yes. Um, but I was going to say like, you know, I think that's something that it's really, really hard for people to understand how much time like creative skill sets really take. Um, like it, it, you know, even like I teach students every other week sometimes. And they'll be like, you know, sometimes they'll be like, well, I want to get more serious. So I'm going to bump up to once a week. And I'm like, that's still only one hour a week. (laughs) Really? Totally. And it's not going to make up for whatever lack of practice is going on. 
throughout the week. Lack of like, you know, regularly visiting like the same vocabulary, like, or, or just like listening even like, I don't know. Hi, Harriet. She's there. In Harriet the too. She just needs to like stay put. <laughs> her. She's so cute. How old is she now? She's like 10, but acts like she's three. She's so cute. She's, <laughs> she's a bud. <laughs> um, I wish I was there so I could cuddle her in person. Um, okay, so you started doing violin. Um, when did you start taking piano lessons? So I started taking piano in first grade. And my brother is like five and a half years older than me and had been taking piano. So I think for a while, I'd, you know, I would sit down and just try to make stuff up and I didn't really know what I was doing but also having had the the ear training from violin I was able to just like figure some basic stuff out on the piano but I think I started formally taking lessons in first grade um and then it's interesting too because I think as a student I I remember being one of those kids who like I was playing constantly but like not the stuff I was supposed to be doing for my lessons most of the time like sometimes half and half I would say But we had these little like red practice logs and you would have to write it in how many minutes each day you'd practice, like probably, presumably what you were supposed to be practicing. But I remember being in the car on the way to my lessons, like filling out like my practice times. And I was like such a kid, but I think when it came to music, I didn't really like the formality of my lessons. Like I, I wished... And I think you'll find, I mean, I'm sure this is true for you too, where the way, like what you wished you had had as a student, that's really informed your teaching and the way that you teach, right? I'm hardcore amen. Like I say to my students all the time, like, listen, I'm just trying to be the teacher to you that I wish I had. But if you need something else, you just have to tell me. <laughs> totally, totally. And I think that's, I mean, I, I think there was a shift in music education too in our lifetimes because like most of the teachers I had up to a certain point, up to maybe like high school were pretty, you know, they'd been trained like formally and I'm nothing against, like I'm so grateful to have had classical and formal music education also, but I think there's a place also for learning contemporary music and pop and like learning how to read chord changes, which is something I don't think I did until like graduate school, which is insane. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, with piano, I was always playing, but I probably wasn't like necessarily playing what I was supposed to be playing all the time. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, it, in retrospect is so, so odd. And I think as a teacher, like you're always trying to think like, what was I, like, what would I have said to, you know, you try to remember like what you were thinking about as a child. And so you can try to get through to a student that same age and, like a, half the time, I think like I want to tell my students to like play around more, like totally. explore their kind of like creative artistry. But you're right; there like has to be that balance that's so hard to achieve. Um. Okay. So totally. doing like besides <laughs> mute. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no no! And I was gonna say too. It's sort of the same thing with um. I don't know. Like the way that we balance. Uh, pro- technical proficiency with artistry like you can't have one and not you at least have to have like some mm-hmm. of both because if you're like technically proficient with no artistry you're just a robot and if you have all the artistry without the technical ability it's probably you're not 
if, especially with voice, yeah, your yeah. the you know levity factor won't be there. Totally, like your your palate is so limited. I mean, I think there are there are examples of people who have like an extremely limited technical palate, but like vast artistry. Um, but yeah, I mean, you are going to be, your creativity is going to have to like filter itself through that extremely limited palette. So like if you're totally. a Turner, go totally. for it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, um, so you were still doing like other mediums, like you were writing, like you would write prose and you were drawing, um, so maybe like, can you tell me just like the story of how like you started to um, focus in on music? Sure, yeah. I think for me, it's interesting because I have a friend who is um, still my friend. We've been probably since kindergarten um, and she's my acupuncturist now. Uh, <laughs> but I remember in elementary school, she had so she had like a little karaoke machine, like a home karaoke machine. And I just remember before having any sort of like outlet for music, we didn't have, you know, chorus or anything like that when I was in elementary school or junior high. But I remember sitting in her room trying, we would like critique each other. <laughs> so we, we would sing like Dolly Parton songs or like Celine Dion. And we would take notes like before reality television was a thing. And we would like critique each other singing which I it's I think that's probably my earliest memory of like singing where I wasn't just trying to sing along with stuff I was playing um and I just thought I don't know that's just the notes that I like but I I feel like with um when I started studying voice it was because I was more into I was becoming really involved with theater and acting in junior high um and so I had done just our straight plays and our drama director was amazing. She was like young Shakespeare with us, which is a super lofty goal for junior high aged <laughs> kids. Mm. Um, but then when the musical rolled around, I remember, you know, I was really interested in, um, in auditioning, but I had no experience singing. Yeah. Um, I think that's when I formally, and actually, the seventh grade and I had a like a scene role in Hello Dolly and it was at shop lady Minnie whatever her last name is but she had this like feature song and I'd never sung in front of people ever like in any capacity wow. and so I started taking voice lessons because I was terrified of having to like sing <laughs> sing in front of yeah <laughs> um and yeah, I think that's how I started to get into voice was through theater. Yeah. Um, and once I started singing, I was so much more interested in, in singing than theater. Interesting. So around that time that you were, I didn't know that about you. I like, I mean, I've known you for so long, but I like, we've never <laughs> talked about like how we started out doing these things. Um, yeah. When, so at that point when you're like, you know, 11, uh, you know, kind of an older child, were you still spending like a lot of time writing, drawing, like, were you still invested in like other mediums? 
You know, I think the thing that I appreciated about junior high was you could sort of do everything. It's like the liberal arts school of K through 12 education. <laughs> like junior high is like the last point in your life where you can get away with, I was like running track and cross country and I was in plays and musicals and I was taking like four instruments and I was in the band. And then you get to high school and you're forced to narrow your interests because I remember being like, well, I want to run track, but I want to be in the musical. And they were like, sorry. Um, and I think I, yeah, I mean, I chose the musical, um, but it's interesting how once you get to high school, you are forced to narrow your interests. And I think I, you know, I wasn't really drawing um, or writing in any, yeah, I don't think in really any capacity. Um, I'm maybe like journaling. Um, Were but you yeah, I do think it was probably around the. Sorry. I can't. Oh, sorry. Something happened. Um, uh, wait, okay. I missed. Oh, no, but you, you, you go. So you were saying it was, it was like sometime around during you go first. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was probably sometime around, it was probably my freshman year of high school where I really was like, okay, no music's going to be the thing. Um, and everything else will just be an interest or a hobby, but like music will be the thing that I'm pursuing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just because, uh, everything I was interested in was overlapping. It was like, oh, well you could be in the fall play or you could run cross country, but you can't do both. Or you could do the musical or you could do track, but you can't do both. Um, and I think also at some point, because I've been practicing and studying music for so long, it was one of those things where there were other things that I was, I had, you know, potential in, but I do feel like there comes a certain point in your life where teachers are like, you're great at this. So I'm going to encourage you to do it. Or like, you're just okay. So whatever. And nobody really encourages you to pursue it or continue with it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. And that's why like, you know, when I'm doing these interviews, I really like to talk with people about their childhood because most people don't have like a lot of structure. Like every once in a while, I'll talk to someone where like, you know, they were already like dancing, like with, you know, the local like professional ballet as a child, you know, like sometimes there are situations where like people are really serious as children. Um, but I think usually we're kind of just like messy creative as children. Like we're just doing stuff. And then I think you're right when you're in like middle school, that's when like, like you said, you ha- you'll start to have teachers that will give you certain kinds of praise for certain things. Um, and there start, there starts to be more like contests, competitions, Um, you know, like in orchestra, like maybe you're going to be this or that chair, or you're going to be chosen to be like in the honor choir or like, you know, whatever it is. And it, and you totally have to like, I mean, even if you don't have to prioritize based on like how many hours of classes you have, you start to prioritize based on like where you're getting like encouragement and where you're getting pressure. Totally. Completely. Yeah. It it was kind of interesting to, yeah, and well, and I know this is something we've talked about and something I know you've talked about uh, with guests on your podcast, but just the idea that um, 
yeah, I, I don't know. It's like kind of bogus that at some point people aren't getting the same young, young people who are exploring creativity aren't getting the same sort of encouragement or the, they're not, I don't know. Like if everybody just did the thing they were good at in sixth grade or whatever, <laughs> you know, like there's just so much potential to, to grow even up through, I mean, I remember my, my brother saying something about, he's like, man, you were not always good at singing. <laughs> and he meant it as a compliment. <laughs> and, and some of my friends <laughs> were like, you know, present for this discussion. And they're like, whoa. And I was like, no, no, no. He means that it, like, it was totally a compliment because I had a lot of like technical, you know, just a lot of technical things I had to work on as a singer that took a long time. His voice is you know, every instrument requires, you know, the 10,000 hours thing. Right. Yeah. But with voice and you have like your instruments part of the body and you have these technical hangups that could, there's so much that, that goes into that, I think too. Um, yeah, but not to completely, I could go off on that tangent and forever. We, we can talk. I mean, I think it's worthwhile to talk about it. I feel like, you know, I, I've been doing this podcast for a full year now and I, I'm, I say it all the time, but like, I think the thing that I'm interested in, like overall is just like, how have, you know, professional artists managed to maintain creativity into adulthood? Like, I'm, I'm really more interested in creativity than like, you know, what it means to be a professional artist per se. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like let the lag go so that you can respond. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I guess one thing I mentioned that I don't know how relevant it is, but in fifth grade, did you guys have like band day where the junior high kids would come to your elementary school and play all the instruments? So you got to select the instrument that you would be playing in junior high. Is this like an Illinois no, thing? I that happens in Arizona but like I didn't I don't think I I think it was maybe more like if you want your kid to be in band or orchestra you send them to that and I think my parents got it okay an option it was just like you play piano and you're gonna do choir like piano is the instrument and sure. you can do choir yeah yeah I yeah the selection process for us was in fifth grade there was like a band day where junior high kids would come and demonstrate instruments and the whoever was like teaching the, the private lessons would come and you would get to try different instruments um and of course like every everyone wanted to play like flute and clarinet and um that Right. And then like, there's one guy with the tuba who's like, Hey, tuba's cool. <laughs> um, but I remember really, <laughs> really, really like, wanting to play the saxophone. Yeah. Sorry. Right. And there are just some instruments that like, you would say are just like sexier instruments, <laughs> you know, it's just like better, not better, but like more appealing choices. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really wanted to play like a reed instrument. I really wanted to play saxophone. And I remember whoever the saxophone teacher was looked at me and was like, no, your hands are too small. 
And it was like, next station. And that, like, what if I just played saxophone and played alto? And that had been, I think about that all the time. Like, would I just be a sax player now? I have the same thought. Instead? I, like, totally. When I was like uh, 10, I went to, um, I went to the music store to buy some sheet music because you had to do that back then. And while I was there, um, like my mom dropped me off and then there was like a boutique next door. So like I was, I was looking for some sheet music in, in Milano's, the music store. And there, you know, like a lot of music stores, there were like some private lesson rooms. And I saw a, a little, a boy taking drum lessons, drum set lessons. And I was just like, blown out of the water. I was like, oh my gosh, drum set is a thing that I could learn. I was obsessed. I was so excited about it. I was like looking in the like freaking classifieds in the newspaper, like looking for used drum sets. Like I was so excited about it. And my parents were just like, no, absolutely not. It's a, it's not an instrument for girls. And like, I think about that all the time. Like I know I'm good at rhythm. It's like one of those things mm. like I, I've never had to work that hard on. Like it's it's easy for me. And I just think like, man, I could have been like a great drummer. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if only, that's what's interesting. Like if you just, you know, choose your own adventure, your life, you know? Yeah. I don't know that's one of those kind of moments that, what if I had done, like, did you ever see that horrible 90s movie with Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors? I have not seen it, but I swear to you, I hear people talk about it like at least once a week. So tomorrow's my birthday. Maybe we'll watch sliding doors for my birthday. Quarantine birthday. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, basically just to synthesize the plot, it's like how Gwyneth Paltrow's life would have been different if she had made the subway versus like missed it, right? And so I like, um, yeah, it's one of those movies, like you're probably fine if you just read the synopsis of it, like you don't even have to really see it. <laughs> but, uh, but just that idea, you know, if this one thing had been different, would I still be pursuing a creative life, but it just would have looked a little bit different? Um, or would I have like taken drum lessons for a month and been like, yeah, now I think I'm going to sing. Like, no, no, it's interesting. It is interesting. You'll never know. Totally. And you, you can get kind of obsessive about it, but that's why I think like, for me, like I take a lot of comfort in the idea that like the thing that's sticky is like creativity and you're going to choose your medium kind of based on like what resources you have. Um, that's what I think. Yeah. I've yeah. artists who disagree. Like I've, I've talked with artists who are like, no, I was a dancer and that's all. Or like, no, it was going to be film or nothing. Um, but most of the artists that I talked to are like, yeah, I mean, I think I wanted to tell stories and I was going to find a way to do that. Yeah, totally. So, um, okay. So let's talk now about like, maybe... Okay, so we've gotten you up to like middle school. You've decided to like take music seriously, um, even beyond like acting. Um, so can can we talk about like whatever you think is interesting or that you want to talk about with like your teen years? Maybe like um, 
I'm curious about how you felt, how you felt about like your artistry, like, you know, during those years. Hmm. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I think I was one of those kids who every, I just stayed so busy that honestly, like junior high and high school were a little bit of a blur because I was just the kind of kid who I was always doing something at like 10 o'clock at night for like four years in high school. Um, Same. And I think I still found, right, like in plays and musicals and choir. Um, I had actually, I don't know, I, I think maybe eighth grade for a minute, I was just taking guitar lessons with um, a, a classical guitarist. And I was just telling my boyfriend Jake this story um, how at some point he kind of like put his car down and he was like, you know, I just get the feeling that you're, you're just studying guitar so you can accompany your voice. And I was like, yup. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, cause I was interested in like the singer songwriter kind of like, I don't know, just playing instruments and singing like the, I think probably, I don't know. I'd always been doing that informally where I would sit and play and sing something and trying to play guitar. Um, and I mean, he totally nailed it. I think he was probably just trying to be a, a good teacher and teach me some sort of like fundamentals on the instrument that he taught. Um, but I, I think for me, outside of like formal, you know, like choir and show choir and musicals and all of that, it was always about, um, I always felt the most comfortable when I was playing an instrument and singing. Um, and so I think that's sort of around that time, like eighth grade, um, high school was when my creativity started. Um, I think it had always felt the most organic when I was at an instrument and singing. Um, I think, yeah, I'm honestly outside of school. I, I didn't have a ton of creative outlets other than just like I would sit at the piano and I would play like vocal piano musical books like Miss Saigon or Les and I would just play it cover to cover and I would sing all the parts and I'd be like I'm Jean Valjean and those like, like, check look at this <laughs> There's a Miss Simon. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like a foot away from my body right now. <laughs> that was like the exact, that, oh my gosh, that is amazing. <laughs> but it was totally like, yeah, I don't know. I think also just because theater was like my intro to music and I was a show choir kid and a Broadway kid and our, our vocal program at my high school was very um, musical theater oriented yeah. and you know I think of that too I didn't have any like control I had a light voice type but I was trying to like make it a, a heavier kind of, like just doing a lot of things wrong probably um it's like if I had to sum up my voice type in high school it was chest chest me too. Except like, I think maybe yeah. I was never like what I would call a, a light voice type. I had like a really heavy, 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 heavy chest voice. 
And then, yeah, my head voice was like a tiny little of a thing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a struggle. It's a journey. That's why, like, yeah, we you mentioned this before, but like sometimes I'll have a student that you know they've been taking voice lessons for like four months, and they'll be like, I just you know I'm still having this problem, and I'm like, girl, like you're gonna need a decade on this. (laughs) Yes, which is so discouraging. Like I, you know, I completely have to have that conversation with students too. We're like, you were doing great. This took me literally 10 years to figure out how <laughs> to, to break certain habits or to develop certain, you know, I mean, yeah, like you could drive a truck through my passaggio until I was <laughs> like 25, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you were saying something before that I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about. What were? What was it? You were talking about um, your creativity kind of taking a turn. Oh, I think we. I stopped you in the middle of that. So, um, you you were talking about how like as you started moving more toward like playing an instrument and singing, that was like new in your creativity. So go go from there. Uh, yeah. And I was really lucky in high school to have just an amazing voice teacher who's, she's still a great friend. Um, and I think she was just so encouraging and she just has this wonderful, like, do you ever just meet someone and you just need to be in their aura and their space? She has this like earth mama kind of vibe, but she introduced me to a lot of, um, yeah, like singer songwriters and, um, a lot of like musicals that I wasn't familiar with. Cause I think, yeah. um, I don't know, for a long time, it was like, if we had gone to see a musical, I was like, okay, here's a musical. I know, <laughs> you know, like cats, <laughs> but I, she introduced me to like Jason Robert Brown and the last five years. And I was like, oh, wow, there's a whole sort of that contemporary musical that was starting to emerge, like in the early two thousands. Um, where you didn't have to have like a huge, huge voice type to sing musical theater, which I thought was super interesting. Um, And just the idea of like, it's probably less like legit using heavy air quotes, Um, but just, yeah, the idea more about the storytelling than, um, than anything else. And so I think, yeah, it was probably around high school that I started exploring more singer-songwriters, more, like, heavy kind of story-based musical theater, um, and it was actually high school that I heard, uh, I started getting into jazz, too, I remember hearing, like, I think I may have, what was it, I think it was Showboat, when I was getting into musicals, I saw Showboat, and I was looking up that song, uh, it was Can't Help Loving That Man, Yeah. um, and then I heard, I'm pretty sure I heard a holiday version of that song, but we know like how imperfect memory is. So don't totally quote me on that. (laughs) Um, But it was around that time where Billie Holiday, just like who and what is this? Like just her ability to transport you through the way that she shapes a phrase and a lyric. And yeah, I heard Jeff Buckley around the same time who was like heavily influenced by Nina Simone and he was another one who just his ability to this has this sort of like transcendent quality where like I don't think I'd been touched by music in that particular way I was like 
music's great because singing's great and whatever, you know, like, but I hadn't actually probably been like super touched by music yet and on an emotional level. Um, and yeah, that was sort of the first experience I, I had with realizing how music can just completely transport you. Yeah. Um, how old were you like high school? Like early high school, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this, this thing of like being really taken with kind of subtle storytelling types of music, it is, I, I found as a teacher, it's really difficult. Like not everybody feels that. Um, I, I don't, I think, I don't know what my question is other than maybe like, I don't know, maybe I just want you to talk more about like, you know, in, in retrospect or like as a teacher, as a professional, like, what do you think that is? And like, why do you think it's important? Yeah. I mean, to me, well, as, as me now, I can say, um, the most important thing to me about music, and it's something I tell my students a lot, is, and I know it's a complicated idea, but just like the idea of authenticity. And I know I've heard, um, we've talked about it, I've heard you talk about it on your podcast, so I know it's not as easy as just being like, be authentic, because it's like, what does that even mean? And it means something different to me 10 years ago as it does to me now. And like, the same way that you can stumble upon an old piece of writing and be like, oh, that was me though. It was me. And I was being authentic, but it's so embarrassing now. <laughs> like, you know, totally. um, and I think there was something without having the language, without knowing exactly what it was, just there was something that was different about it to me. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I don't even quite know how to explain it, but I, I do have a memory of like the first time I heard Jeff Buckley um, sing. And I, I just remember being like, there's, this is otherworldly to me. And it really opened. um, Yeah. It opened the door to this whole other thing where I'm like, Oh, okay. So like singing doesn't have to be, uh, or performing doesn't have to be this huge demonstrative. Yeah. Like ordeal. It can just be like understated and really lyric focused, um, even to, and I'm back to the sort of like the, um, artistry, uh, how we balance, you know, artistry and, and technical proficiency. I think the thing, uh, about Jeff Buckley's music that was amazing to me was like how technically proficient he was. And it was like, I'd never, I guess it's like when you have every color to paint with, but you, ch- you choose exactly when to use what colors instead of just being like, here are all my colors. Um, it's like, and I still feel the same way with some, and with some people, like when we're at UNT, I felt this where people would be like, this player is amazing. And I'd be like, they play too many notes. <laughs> like, and I don't always want to hear all the notes. I would rather hear someone who can play all the notes and who chooses usually not to. And then occasionally, if there's a really good reason for it, I, I don't know. So I think to me, that was kind of a turning point for me, like personally, when I realized that what understated musicianship looks yeah. like, um, yeah. but, but still paired 
with amazing proficiency. And I, I think that was a super interesting idea to me. And now I completely forgot your specific question about that. I think I just <laughs> want to talk about why that's valuable. And I, you totally did. Mm-hmm. And I really agree. Like, I mean, I, I think I feel the same way. Um, to me, it's like, it's so, um, it's such a blend of like extreme vulnerability. Like that intimacy is so visceral in that style of singing. Um, but it's also like when you hear someone who's applying a lot of technical skill to like all of the energy of that technical skill is going toward that like extreme vulnerability, it is breathtaking. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, and I do think it's like precious in like a weird way. And, and it, I think it's pretty rare. Um, I know that I am like always finding myself longing for it. Like even, you know, I like joke about this sometimes, but um, two years ago on my birthday, so it was like exactly two years minus one day ago, um, Brad (laughs) Meldow was playing um, in Utah. And like, I love Brad Meldow um, because of like this a lot of the time. I feel like a lot of time he's a person who you can tell could play every note and like, when he doesn't and when he focuses on like you know arranging and and kind of like the the storytelling of it I love it so much and at this concert he like did not do that um and I was really upset (laughs) (laughs) afterward everyone was like that was so awesome and I was like I didn't like it And like, you know, I'll stand by it because like, I don't care how much like wowie wow playing there was like, I didn't feel like he was there with me. That was like the expectation I had for Brad. Yeah, Um, (laughs) It's hard hard and and it is, I think it's rare. I think it's, I think it's kind of precious and I think it's undervalued. Um, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And either way, you know, we look at if you ever have spent any amount of time watching um, watching any sort of like music based reality television show, right? It's like, ooh, it's not until someone sings the loudest, highest note with the most control that we're like, that, that is what I want to hear. And, it, you know, especially in that format, I think people who are more understated and just in the music world in general, people kind of get glanced over. Um, if yeah. they're not as short or as demonstrative, particularly as singers, I think. And I, I agree with you. I do think it's under you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And there was something, you know, I was a show choir kid. I was a musical theater kid. Um, and it is kind of interesting because those two things were so, but then I had this like reverence for understated singer songwriter music or understated jazz. As. And um, yeah, I'm not sure really. I don't think I ever even tried to reconcile those two things. I'm like, they're both good, they're both different. Um, they have really not a ton to do with each other. Yeah. Um, did you feel, did you feel like you, um, okay, so I think you and I are different in the sense that. Like, I also feel deeply in love with that kind of thing, but I didn't hear it even until college. Like, the closest that I got to it 
was like hearing Leia Salonga sing like the first couple of like the first 16 bars of I'd give my life for you, you know? I mean, I think that was like, that was, that was the only place that I would hear that kind of understated thing, but then it was always followed with this like virtuosity. Um, And so I think I, I didn't even, I wasn't quite aware that that understated type of thing really existed until I was in college. Um, and by the time I was in college, you know, and this is such a, this is such a North Texas thing, but you know, if, if there's a place where that kind of subtlety is undervalued, it's, it's in a jazz studies degree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think by the time I was aware of it, I already kind of had this thought of like, well, that's, you know, I felt like I shouldn't like it that much or like something. Um, like I felt defend, like I needed to defend it or like it was lesser somehow, even though like in my gut, I was like, it's my favorite. Yeah. Um, and that's also probably just my, my baggage. But the question for you is like, when you were in high school and like loving this kind of music, did you ever feel like you had to like, like, did you feel defensive about it? Or did you feel like you had to like justify why it was worthwhile? You know, not exactly because I think, well, a couple things. I had a cool older brother who showed me most of the music that shaped my young adulthood. Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise I still would have been listening to like movie soundtracks and like, (laughs) like Celine Dion and nothing. Like the age where Celine Dion was like, if you're not that you are not anything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I could still sing her that whole her like self-titled album, I could sing it for you like cover to cover without even like thinking about it probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think my brother being several years older than me and being super into music and like he listened really widely. So I think it was interesting because I, I still have a few friends who were like, oh man, you got me into this thing in high school. And I was like, it was really just my brother getting me into a thing. And then I get to like, reap all the like I looks like the cool kid who was in yeah. all the cool music but it's just my cool older brother I think um and so I think yeah we had such a as most choir programs or many choir programs are I think we were so supportive of one another um that I don't think I and I would also say I don't think I at that point was an understated singer necessarily I think I was still trying to fit into some Broadway box, even though I had been exposed to more understated, thoughtful music. Um, so yeah, I don't think I ever got to the point where at that age where I had to do any defending of it, because I think I was probably still, even the jazz I was singing, um, I feel like it was more kind of like cabaret. Yeah. yeah. I, I like, I told my voice teacher, I'm like, just thinking about this. Like, I haven't thought about this in forever. I told my opera voice teacher that I wanted to work on jazz and she had me sing like putting on the Ritz. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. The other day, I, um, so I haven't thought about the fact that I know putting on the Ritz because of that voice teacher but the other day there was a commercial <laughs> on like Netflix you know because that's all we're doing now that we're in quarantine where um putting on the Ritz was playing like in the background like it was just like I think it was like a, you know, like a Barry sax or something. Like it was playing the boop, 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 boop. Just like, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, knew all the lyrics. And Andrew was like, what? What? 
how, what is this? <laughs> like, I know the lyrics to this, oh putting on the Ritz. So silly. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and you think like, if, if I tried to give any of my students putting on the Ritz, there would be a mutiny. Oh, certainly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like my last voice teacher had me sing. Um, she was doing this recital that was like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang themed. And she had oh, me yeah. like Lovely Lonely Man, um, which is the most boring song. And I, as like a 15 year old, was like, okay. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. It's oh my God. We're just compliant. I was just as compliant. Like, I was <laughs> like, all right. Well, and like the fact that they, there wasn't internet back then, I think like yes. there wasn't reality TV. You know, I mean, American Idol was brand new. And even like when, you know, Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood were winning, they were a little bit older. Yeah. You know, like I think there was still an idea when we were in high school that like if you're a teenager you don't actually have any power. Totally. Yeah, just whatever. Tell me the thing and I'll do the thing. Like Yeah. You know, for better or worse, like there were definitely things that I learned during that time that if I had had like an opinion about it, I would have been like I don't want to work on this, but like in retrospect totally. I'm like I'm glad I worked on that. Yeah, completely. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, how you decided to major in music and sure. like what you had to go through to come to that decision and also what um, other people thought about it. Yeah, um, interesting. That's, I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, and, you know, and again, like, I don't know, something Jake and I always talk about is just how imperfect memory is so sometimes I think I have like an origin story in my head and I'm like this could only be 20% true or it could be like 90% true and I'm not totally sure which it is um, yeah I think for me I, I feel like it just kept getting closer and closer to when I was going to have to make a decision because when you start looking at colleges you should have some at least broad idea of what you want to study usually so you can you know pick a school that has a good program and the thing that you want to study. Um, and this was before, I almost said it was before the internet, which makes me sound so old. It wasn't before the internet, but it was before, it was when like, you still had to like, it wasn't mainstream to be your own like internet clues about everything. You had like a college counselor and you would go visit them, you know, once a, however many weeks. Um, and you would look through physically peruse the books about colleges. Um, and I can't quite remember how, I think I just felt like music is the thing that I enjoy the most and that I'm the best at, um, at this point in my life. And I don't know. And I, I was sort of, it was a toss up between music and English, which at that point in my head and everyone, all the adults who mattered in my life, they were like pretty much equally, unstable I think <laughs> like okay like English degree or music degree um and since I had a strong background in theory and playing instruments I feel like my choir director and my voice teachers encouraged me to do music education um and I loved people like there were a lot of reasons why I can see 
people thinking that music ed would be the right choice for me. Um, and I think my parents thought it was a more stable profession than pursuing, you know, a, a career in performance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can't 100%. I don't remember really considering much else yeah. um, when I chose to go to school for music. Were you, yeah. uh, were you worried about it? Did you worry about it? I didn't, but also, but I think it's important to, to, um, to mention that like, I was privileged to have parents, I, like a family I knew would support me if I needed it or could support me or offer me, you know, that sort of like, I, I don't know. So I, I guess just taking privilege into account, like I should have been more worried than I was probably, but I was like, it's okay. Cause my parents support what I'm doing. And like, you know, I knew I wasn't going to like go hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, no matter what happened. Yeah. I think, I think that is important to say. And I like to ask people about it because, you know, I'm, I mean, again, I talk about this all the time on the podcast, but I'm certain that this age is a, is an important point in like creativity. And I talk to a lot of people who have similar, like who say a similar thing to you who are like, yeah, I wasn't worried, but like, I maybe should have been. Um, I talk to people who like were worried and like maybe shouldn't have been so worried. Um, and then I also talk to people who were just like, I didn't even have the vocabulary or the, like, I didn't even know to think about that at all. Yeah. Um, like, I just, no one in my life was like in any way, like talking to me about, money because like you know privileged privileged kids choose art and really underprivileged kids choose art and the reasoning behind the choice is sometimes the same and sometimes really different and I I just think it's important to like put us you put a pin in it you know like that's what was maybe happening at that time although like you said memory is memory's wishy-washy I have one other question about like this time before you went to, to college um, at like that time when you're like applying to schools, maybe you haven't auditioned yet because auditioning for college is like a whole thing. Um, but uh, how did you feel about your skills and how did you, so I, I want to know how you felt about like your skill set. And I also want to know what your relationship was like, like with art. Sure. I think one thing that I still, um, maybe still carry with me is this feeling that I was always an instrumentalist first. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think my overall skill set in music at that point, I felt like was stronger than maybe stronger than most when it came to like understanding theory and being able to accompany myself. And, you know, I played like three or four instruments or something at this point in my life. And so just as a musician, I felt like a very strong musician as a singer. I knew exactly where my inadequacies were and I was super self-conscious about them. Um, and particularly because almost everywhere you went at that point, um, almost every school you were, you were going to be pursuing classical music. 
Yeah. Unless you went to like a conservatory or you went to Berkeley, um, there just weren't a whole lot of places where you wouldn't be auditioning classically for a classical program, even if you were going as music ed. So I think, yeah, I, I felt like as a musician, I felt very strong as a singer. I knew I felt like a phony, (laughs) and especially auditioning for classical programs. I was like, we both know (laughs) that this is not going to be the thing that I'm doing. Oh man, that's so hard. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going back in my memory to like, I mean, you're so right. That is something that like high school students now, high school singers like don't have to think about, but like, yeah, I mean, having to go in in a, in a college audition room and sing like a Mozart aria, like, oh, bull. Yes, <laughs> I totally. That was like a thing that I did. <laughs> yeah, juries. Like if I think about it, I have like, I get low level sweaty. Like, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I get like a little, like kind of gaggy. Like I might, I might have to throw up. Totally. <laughs> But I do think there, there is like, there, there definitely was some kind of an element of like, you got to really want it. You know, like when I think about like, you know, I had a student who was auditioning for colleges a couple of years ago and like, she went in and like her audition piece was like, to make you feel my love by Bob Dylan. Like, if that's what you're, which I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful song. Yeah. There's nothing about it that's technically challenging. Totally. And there's nothing about it that's really like, I mean, it's, it's very, it's a, you know, it's very subjective, but it's fairly easy to like connect to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just thought like, if that, if that was like the audition, like there are so many more people like from my high school graduating class that would have auditioned for music degrees. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, because then having to think about singing something in Italian, you know, or German or French was just a different thing. Completely, completely, yeah. Or English, you know, for that matter. Oh my God, I remember, do you remember like the first time you ever heard an opera in English? And you're like, what language is this? And then you like realize that's English. I took English diction as a course in college, like... Cause it's not, I don't know. Actually, like I was, different. I was thinking about this the other day, I took English diction the same semester, like Candace and I were in the same class um, for the listener. Yeah. Candace is our mutual friend who was in school at the same time. Um, but Candace left us. Candace like left us before like a really important time, which I, which I am sure is why you, Catherine and I are like bonded in a particular way. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> our program went through like some serious trauma right after Candace left. Um, yes. Oh, we were in, we were in English diction together and uh, the, the teacher was talking about how like um, people from like Arizona and Utah and some other places will add an L to like the word, like both. Both. <laughs> and I was like, Oh no, I totally do that. And then, like, Candace and I had this joke for, like, a full semester where we, like, were adding L's, like, extraneous L's to, like, all kinds of words. And it still kind of, still kind of makes me laugh. Oh, my gosh, same. Like, there was this one, there was this, she would say, like, it's rolling cats and dogs. And I still, (laughs) I think about that, like, every time it's raining, I'm like, it's rolling cats and dogs. Oh, my gosh. It's stupid, but also, it's, like, a precious memory. 
I um, love it. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you felt, you felt good about your skill set. You felt like a phony about, um, singing, which like, Oh, it's so personal. It's so hard. Um, and then what about like, just how you felt about like your artistry, which I think is totally different. Yeah. I, you know, at that point, man, I think at that point I had so many technical hangups as a singer that I don't think, I don't remember how I felt honestly as an artist at that point. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, that's a really good question that I'm not sure I speak to because I, it it was just one of those things where like music always felt, made me feel better than anything else. So I was always, I don't know. I was always playing, but I felt like it was the act and I still feel this way, that it's more the act of playing and singing that I enjoy. It's like the process of it more so than like performing or I don't know. They're just, everything else feels so complicated to me. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think like just singing and, and playing in the act of like doing was where I felt the best. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah but I not say I had like any sort of developed sense of artistry beyond, yeah, yeah the formal education I had. I think I, I'm the same way. Like I, I definitely felt like kind of addicted to the feeling of you know, hearing and feeling a song like move through your body and then like watching someone laugh or watching someone cheer up, you know, like I remember feeling like I could not get enough of that feeling, which I think is art. Um, but yeah, I, I think I also, it's weird. I, I mean, I think I'm obsessed with it now. I think about it all the time, but I think I felt like an artist as a child. Hmm. Um, and I think I felt very magical as a child. And then I think I felt like extremely practical and probably like a little bit plain in high school. Yeah. But I knew that I worked really hard and I knew I had like good skills. Yeah. And then I recovered some artistry later. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. is there anything else you want to tell about like choosing where you wanted to go to school or do you want to just like bump into like what you learned in your undergrad? Yeah. I mean, I, for, for me choosing, I don't know. I kind of knew I wanted to go to a smaller school, which now I think could have just been fear. Um, you you know, it's fair. (laughs) Yeah. And I loved, I was just a kid who like loved high school. And so I think I was just maybe looking for a similar experience. So when I went to choose colleges, I think I sort of fell in love with the place that I went to undergrad and I, um, my parents really wanted me to check out a bunch of schools. So I remember we would have these, you know, it would be like a Saturday morning and they're like, get in the car. We're driving to Indiana. And I was like, please don't make me look at another college. Like I know where I want to go. And I think at this point I had an audition. So it's like, of course, when you're auditioning, you can't put all your eggs in one basket because like, what if you don't get into like the two schools that you applied to. Um, so for me, I think picking a school was like a fairly, um, like I, I maybe applied to like 10 schools, but I only auditioned, I think I only auditioned at one or two, maybe one, one or two. I auditioned at, at, I auditioned for BYU my, when I was 18, because that was the Scoresby family rule. 
Um, And then I auditioned for North Texas the next year. Yeah. Same. I did put all my eggs in one basket at a time. Yeah. But there's something to say for that too, when you really know, you know, this is the place. Yeah. I've talked about this. I think I've told this story like maybe two times in different, you know, contexts, but yeah, I, I decided like, so I went to BYU for like a summer semester, like right after I finished high school. I mean, there was maybe like four weeks in between graduating from high school and starting college. And I applied to go to North Texas, like in August, Um, you know, so like I had decided, like I was at BYU for like two months before I was like, this is not where I should be. Um, and, uh, so I chose like the whole year that I was at BYU, um, I didn't take really any music classes because I knew I was going to transfer. So I was like on the phone with Carol Pollard, um, or my counselor from North Texas, who I'm just friended me on Facebook. And I was like, Carol, um, anyway, I was on the phone with Carol as an 18 year old being like, will this credit transfer to my degree at North Texas? Um, and I was taking lessons with a teacher at BYU, Anna Mui, um, and I was specifically like prepping for an audition at North Texas for a full year. Um, yeah. like, well, I mean, I guess it was almost a full year, but like I was working on those same two audition pieces for a very, very long time. <laughs> yeah. So I, all this to say, if your eggs are going to be in one basket, that's the way to do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about your college time. I, I mean, um, let's talk about your, your Wellesley time. That's right. Right. Wellesley. Wells. Um, Illinois Wesleyan university. I always. Yeah. Well, Wellesley. Wes- Wellesley. It's that's a great school, <laughs> but it's funny because there's a Connecticut Wesleyan, which I did not realize was like the, if you say you went to Wesleyan in Illinois, there's like an implied Illinois Wesleyan. But if you say you went to Wesleyan in other parts of the country, if there's actually a Connecticut Wesleyan, that's this really like elite prestigious school, which I didn't realize until I'd be like, Oh, I went to Wesleyan. And people are like, oh, Wesleyan. I was like, yes, Illinois Wesleyan. Do you know? <laughs> like, have you heard? <laughs> um, but so it's, that, yeah, it was Wesleyan. I, <laughs> I, I'm always like, like, I swear, like I'll hear someone like say like Wesleyan or Wellesley, like pretty regularly. And I'm like, Catherine went there. Think. Totally. Or was it the, uh, like, I never know. I'm going to remember now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't want to like ask you too many, like just direct questions about that time. Cause you know, what was interesting about it. So um, like, yeah, what do you want to, what do you want to talk about of like your bachelor's degree years? Sure. Yeah. So I guess, like I said before, I went in as a music education major. Um, and the first year of my, uh, yeah, of my degree, I was taking applied lessons as you do when you're a music ad major. Um, and my teacher and I did not see eye to eye. Um, I had a really, really difficult first year 
in this studio. I felt like um, her pedagogical approach was, it was kind of one way. And if it didn't make sense to me, it was like, she would just keep hammering that one way in. And I was like, it's not helping and I'm not getting better. And then I remember telling her at some point, um, I sang with our college's jazz band. Mm -hmm. So we had two two big bands. And um, the first year I sang with our like, kind of like second tier jazz band. So it was a freshman I auditioned to sing with this big band. And I remember her saying to me, why would you ever want to sing jazz? And she was like, how are you ever going to make money? And at that point, I think I had already maybe had a paying gig or two when she said this to me, this might've been my sophomore year, but uh, I was like, Oh, actually like I'm already um, making money gigging and doing jazz. And that was before I even had any idea what I was doing. Um, So, and of course, as a teacher, I can see why you now, why you wouldn't want someone who doesn't have the strongest technical foundation trying to sing belty big band music. So it's like, now that makes a lot of sense to me, but what never made sense to me was like, the separation. And I I hope, I think, and I hope that this is not as much of a thing as it used to be, but this distinction between so-called legit classical music and then everything else, right? Like jazz, contemporary. um, And there was just this feeling, I think a really strong feeling in our school of music and and probably a lot of schools at that time, um, that if you weren't singing classical, it was somehow, um, it less worthwhile or didn't have as much value or as much credibility. Um, And so I think I struggled a lot in undergrad with this feeling that like, okay, I don't really fit in to this classical program and I'm not really fitting in with instrumentalists either um, because there just wasn't, it didn't feel like there was really a a place for me. because I was not a strong classical singer, but I, I was an instrumentalist secondarily. Um, and we really didn't have, we had an acapella group that like a female acapella group I sang with. So that was like a nice outlet in the jazz band, but it was really like these extracurricular things that, and, and of course like choral, we had an amazing choir and I loved like my experience singing with the choir. I think I, I just never felt like I fit in exactly. Um, and still, like, most of my best friends from college are all visual arts majors, yeah. um, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I really struggled trying to figure out where I fit in while I was there. Yeah. And it may have actually just been, I think it was after my freshman year, um, I was looking to change studios because um, the woman who I ultimately ended up studying with was, um, she was wonderful, a, an amazing classical singer, but, uh, but she listened to like Matchbox 20 and jazz. And like, you know I mean, she had, <laughs> she had interests that weren't just opera. Um, yeah. and she also saw a place for like, as long as you're singing with good technique, you can sing other stuff. It doesn't have to just be this one thing. So we had this studio that I, uh, I transferred into her studio. I think my sophomore year and it, it was a little bit like a misfitty sort of studio. Like we had some really heavy classical, amazing classical singers in our studio. And then we had kind of everyone else who you didn't know what to do with. Where we're like, I want to sing jazz or R&B or this other stuff. Um, and so I loved, I think my college experience really turned around 
when oh, I was able. That was like junior year. What did you say? I think it was actually, I, I want to say my sophomore year, I was able to switch studios okay. and I was still music ed at this point. And I remember taking, um, for music education, you have to take all these applied courses where are like fundamentals, um, where, you know, you take, what was it? It was like techniques. So you would take like brass tech and then for two weeks, you're like learning how to play the tuba and then you're learning how to play the trumpet or whatever. Tuba got you eventually. What's that? The tuba got to you eventually. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, and I think it was that thing where I'm like, this is all fine. But, um, but yeah, I remember just being like, I will never teach band because I'm not qualified. Uh, so, you know what I mean? Thinking like, okay, so you have all these skills. Um, you're taking all these like techniques classes. And I remember going in to talk to my, my voice teacher, Dr. Mullum, um, and it was maybe we had already registered for sophomore year classes and I went in and she was a very like open door. So you could just go and if she had an office hour, you could just sit in there and like talk to her or cry or like whatever thing you needed to do. She was there, which was really important. Um, and I remember her saying, you know, I was complaining about having to take percussion tech the next semester. And I was like, Oh, it's like, an 8 a.m. class, and I'm never going to teach anybody how to play the drums. Like, I'll work at Starbucks before I, you know, teach an instrument that I have a very, very rudimentary understanding of. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. And she was like, I think you need to go to the registrar and just, she was like, you don't want to be a music teacher. And I was like, no, I don't. (laughs) And like, no one else had said that to me, but she's like, I don't think you really want to want to teach music in that setting. And I was like, no, you're right. And so without consulting my parents who were paying for my education, I (laughs) I went to the registrar and I dropped all my music ed classes. I changed my major to performance. And, um, that was the only time I sensed that my parents were like, oh no, (laughs) like this is bad news. (laughs) Um, because I think as long as you had something to sort of fall back on music didn't seem like such a risk you know yeah um yeah I never had an experience quite like that because I think my parents just never intended for me to work oh you know they intended for me to have children yeah I definitely had fun and just enjoy it no it wasn't that it was like you need to get a degree quickly that can be a good backup if your husband dies or divorces you. Like, and it it wasn't like that was implied. It was like, that was articulated. So I was supposed to do something like really, really practical that was like super reliable and that I could get done very quickly um, in case I got married and needed to like, you know, put my husband through school. That that was definitely like how I was raised. Wow. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I don't know, like when I think back about like why I chose music, like, I don't even know. I mean, I've speculated about it a lot, but I, but I think like, if I, if I really like investigate my gut about this, I think I just, I just needed a reason to not be at BYU. Like, I think that was at least part of it. And, um, yeah, they didn't have a jazz studies degree, you know, (laughs) like, I think that was at least like, at least of it I like knew that I needed to like get out of I needed to be somewhere else 
totally um so okay so you sorry go ahead oh and you did yes and I did did. but then I went back to BYU as faculty which like I will never (laughs) stop thinking about how ironic that is like I will never stop thinking about it um we're able to give them a different experience than you had. So that's valuable. You know, I do think about that regularly. Um, okay. So you switched to performance and your parents were like, Oh, and did you have any, or were you just happy? Oh, no, for sure. I mean, I think I struggled a lot with like, should I be transferring schools? Because I knew at that point that I was like a mediocre classical singer at best And so now I was having to go through all these juries as a performance major. um, And I just was so, you know, I think I'm a person who's prone. I don't think I would have known it then or had the language for it, but uh, prone towards like anxiety. And I think, you know, of course, as a singer too, if you have anxiety, it can manifest, you know, with tension and all these things. So I was like, super, super anxious about singing classical music. I knew that it wasn't a thing that I would pursue. Um, so I was like, I'm, I'm just going to try to do as many things here and learn as much as I can. Um, and I knew that there was no way that could be like the end of the road for my education because I wanted to do a thing that I wasn't truly able to, to study while I was there. My jazz band director was amazing. Um, but he was an instrumentalist first. So like, I think the best he could do in terms of just instruction for a singer was like, go listen to this and go check this out. Um, and then, yeah, I think I wasn't as, as amazing as my education was. There were so many gaps in it because I, there, there were just going to be, you know what I mean? I wasn't going to a place with a, a formal jazz education program. Um, so at that point I knew I wanted to sing jazz. Everything else felt like okay, I just have to kind of get this degree over with so I can like go do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, sorry, did I interrupt you? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. No, I'm good. So when you were like finishing, like, like, unless there's anything really important, when you were finishing your bachelor's degree, well, I want to know two things again. Um, what was your like level of, like what what, what was like your... What was your level of anxiety? <laughs> like, like yeah. what, or, or what was your level of confidence? And then I want to know, um, what was the state of your creativity? Like, at the sure. end of your degree. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. It was interesting because while I was at Wesleyan, there were things that I had just kind of like taught myself to do a little bit. So like, you know, it was before the iRealBook app. So I remember if I wanted to sing a tune, I would like get the actual real book and it was never in the key that I wanted to sing it in. So I would get paper and I would physically transpose music into handwritten charts that I would write. Um, you know, and so like I was doing all these things because I just didn't know any better and I didn't have any other information. Um, so I think for where it was really hard for me to get an accurate picture of where I stood as a musician because I was at such a small school where nobody else was really trying to do the same thing as I was doing. Um, so yeah, I think in some ways 
the things I always felt confident about were like my sight reading ability, my ability to play an instrument, um, and just like general musicianship. And again, I think when it came to improv, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and still, yeah. And at that point too, well, no, I don't know. Sorry. I'm kind of trailing off. <laughs> okay. I kind of think about it. Like, I think, like, and I, th- I think this is important, you know, my goal is to like, illustrate to people how meandering these things are that's like the whole thing that I I want to say like look it's not what you think (laughs) like it just isn't what you that's like why I want to talk to artists like you know the the ways that we like maintain creativity and maintain like you know resilience in terms of like how we're developing our skill sets like sometimes it's accidental. Sometimes it's like really stubborn. Sometimes it just like takes a long, long time. Um, and so I like to talk to artists about it. Um, and I know, I know that like you have had like anxiety about your musicianship. So that's why I'm kind of just wondering, like, you know, I think it's important to talk about it because you are still doing it. Like, you know, um, and it's not like it's the only thing or it's like defining, but like, you know, it, it is like, it's something that like is a bedfellow for you and you keep making stuff and doing stuff. So like, yeah, yeah. important, I think. <laughs> um, so I just like want to check in, like at the end of that chapter of your life, you know, as you're like about to start grad school, like what is the state of like your confidence in your musicianship? And then, and then are you doing anything creative? And like, I think if the answer is no, that's fine. I think I, you know, like would totally relate to that. I think focusing techniques sometimes like kills your creativity for a little while and you have to kind of, so yeah. (laughs) Totally. And I, I do think I was lucky to have all these other outlets while I was there, like getting able, you know, being able to, um, to, to sing and to actually tour with my jazz band was amazing. I had the rhythm section from that band. We had like a little um, ensemble that we would like go and do tiny little gigs around town. Um, And, you know, just things like my acapella group and uh, there were a few opportunities to like play piano and sing while I was there. So in a sense, I mean, the liberal arts education for me was it instilled a lot of confidence in me. And then, um, so I think as a, I felt really well-rounded at that point as a musician and as a person. Um, But I think almost to a fault because I had no idea what I was in for when I got to UNT. So it's just like the whole, you know, big fish kind of. And I wouldn't even say, I think I was, even at my school, I think I was just doing something different than everyone else. Um, So it's like there was, in a sense, there was no one competing to be doing exactly what I was doing. And I didn't view it as a competition. I was just like, I want to be doing this thing. I want to do it as much as I can in whatever capacity I can, because that's all that I have right now to feel connected to because I didn't feel connected to classical music in that way. Um, so yeah, I think I was just really excited to like move on to the next thing while still valuing my education and the, the relationships and the friendships yeah. that I made while I was at, um, undergrad. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, that, I don't know if that answers it. No, I think it totally does. 
yeah, you, you felt pretty good, but like you maybe weren't that aware. Um, and like, did you feel like, did you feel like you were being creative and, you know, like maybe I should qualify that with just like, I think creativity, you know, it can be out of your medium, you know, like, but did you feel like your creative muscles were like busy? Certainly. And I, I think part of it is, um, you know, I had this group of friends, like my visual art and theater friends who are still my best friends. We see each other ever we can. And, and I think just, I kind of found my people in college and that was what allowed me to be creative in these weird, I mean, still just the sort of like mental gymnastics that we play all the time. And, and just, and that way, I think um, we always make fun of like uh, when we were freshmen, just finding ways to entertain ourselves. Yeah. I remember we were just like all sitting around one night and we were like inventing games and there, we just invented this game um, called Throw Stuff at Other Stuff. And we like entertained ourselves for hours just doing that or like, you know, what if sorts of instructions, but yeah. to like the millionth degree. And I having um, I kind of went off on a tangent, but I, I think having people yeah. around who, who, who encourage your creativity, um, and, and I, I think without, um, it's important to feel like you're not judged too, um, cause that's what allows you to create. And, and I remember like, um, yeah, my boyfriend Jake lent me this, this Paul Astor book, uh, called Moon Palace. And I remember he describes creativity as like a game of catch, you know? So sometimes you throw a ball to someone and they throw it right back and you're like, Oh, okay, great. And then you just keep, keep throwing it. And other times you throw a ball to someone and they just like drop it and walk away. <laughs> um, and so I think I was lucky to have people who were willing to play catch and let me be as weird as I needed to be. And, um, and I think for me, creativity has always been sort of, you know, um, it's like woven itself into my life in a lot of different ways. So even when music was feeling more like a rigorous study, I was never without creativity. Sometimes I think I, I would go through periods where I didn't, music wasn't going to be the creative outlet always because there it can be problematic to make your passion your course of study or to make your passion your career um and there are times when all I want to do is I'll listen to like three episodes of your podcast or I'll go take a walk or I can't listen to music for a couple weeks you know what I mean like I go through kind of these swear to you I go like almost a year without really listening to music like it gets complicated sometimes. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm so glad totally, you said all totally. of that. I agree so much. Um, I'm glad that you. T- I'm glad that you talked about just like playing the what if game with your friends because that's really like, you know, I I think it's so important to acknowledge that creativity doesn't have to have a medium. Like it's a mindset and it's like a brain exercise. And I don't know. I like I. I just feel like it's an important thing to remember. Like sometimes your medium and your creativity line up. Sometimes they don't. Maybe sometimes you don't have a medium 
yet or ever, you know, like creativity is like this other thing that like when we're, when we, when we're lucky or when we like make it a point, we can like align our, our medium of choice and our creativity, but you don't need one for the other necessarily. Totally. And it's creativity is really this sort of mercurial thing. It's not like, okay, now I'm being my creative self and now, now I'm being this other self. And I think for a long time, I didn't necessarily view it that way. And I think I've struggled a bit to, even though I've always been creating something, I've struggled to always view myself as like, I'm a creative person who needs to create, even though it's like I do. And I know that now I think you're right that there doesn't have to be this like delineation between like, okay, like now, you know, yeah, here's this creative, like it, it can be just part of your life in different ways too. And, um, and I think looking at creativity that way, like more people are creative than would probably even call themselves creative. It just manifests differently in different people and at different times. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about this a lot right now. Cause I mean, th- this is one of those situations where recording a podcast at a different time than it's going to air is um, tricky, but I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to launch this album. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like right in the thick of it right now. And, um, I've, I've, um, I've designed this component to it that I haven't told anyone about except for the people who are involved in it. And, um, it's all about this thing that we're talking about of like, how do you make a choice to be creative? Like when maybe you don't have a medium that's like really well-defined. Um, Yeah. And I think like, you know, the type of relationship that I have with you and like the things that I feel like you like know and understand about me that like very few people do um, makes me excited to like talk about this kind of stuff with you because I know that we've both experienced like having our artistry like valued in different ways. Um, I was going to say like undervalued, but like that's maybe not even really the right. It's just like, wrongly valued you know or like misvalued or like the lens is wrong or something and I wonder if some of it has to do with this kind of a thing of like if people don't see like your creativity and like your beautiful artistic mind like aligned perfectly with like the medium they're expecting you to put it in they miss it um which I think is like kind of a tragedy. And I, I want to talk about it forever. Um, so let's, I love everything you said about your creativity. I'm so, I'm glad I asked you that again. So that you would say, you would say all of that. Um, okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about North Texas now where we know each other. Um, you started there. What, when did you start there? When was your first semester? So my first semester was the fall of 2007. Is that right? Oh my gosh, that was so long ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. <laughs> Catherine yeah. was starting her bachelor, her master's degree, and I was starting. I was kind of starting my my bachelor's, but I had done one year um, 
I had done one year at BYU, but I hadn't taken any music classes. So I was in like freshman music classes, but I was a year older than everybody. Um, and you and I didn't really have any classes together until later, right? I feel like improv. Yeah. yeah. Maybe like your second year, I feel like we had classes together. Yeah. Or forum? Was forum the first? Well, I know that we had, um, so we were in jazz singers together like the second year. So like starting in the fall of 2008. Um, and then I think the first time we had like an actual class class together was like when we were taking um, the, what was the, the class um, that we did in like Tim Brent's office? Oh. Was that the what first? What was that? It was like fun of fundamentals or te techniques. It was like supposed to be like for undergraduates, it was supposed to be like the last class that you take before like you do your senior recital. And I don't know like what it was for grad students or maybe I'm confused, but, um, but I don't think we had any like real close classes together. And even in like the, the vocal jazz ensemble, like we stood on opposite ends. So we, we didn't get like really yeah. close until like a couple of years after that. But um, yeah. I definitely like was aware of you. I mean, you were like older and I was like, I was like paying attention because <laughs> you were like a grad student. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I'm just rambling because I'm trying to say like, I don't actually really know what was going on with you during those first like couple of years there. So um, what was it like your, your, what was it like, like landing there and then like adjusting, you know, a year or two in? Yeah. I mean, I remember just being super excited because especially it had been like such a long road of studying, just like almost getting to the thing that I wanted to do, but then not quite like, okay, I'm studying music ed, but I don't really want to be a music teacher. Okay, now I'm singing opera, but I don't want to be an opera singer. And like, nor could I even be if I wanted to be, I feel like. Um, and so it was just really exciting to be like, these are my people, right? Yeah. It's like strong musicians who, um, you know, were, were wanting to like study the same, like interested in the same music as I, it was just like a completely different experience to go from feeling sort of, I mean, like a black sheep, I would say, um, at my, my college and, and then to being like in a program where everybody more or less has the same interests as you do, yeah. um, the same interests and interest level. And, uh, so yeah, I was really excited. Um, I think also, you know, you have to, um, coming off of like a classical music program, I remember getting a letter of all the, the courses that were like so-called deficiencies, which is <laughs> like horrible. Like just the term deficiency is like the worst, you know, They're like here are all the things you're deficient in if you weren't already like feeling weird about it. Um, but you're like, you know, I never had an opportunity to study those things. So it wasn't like I got a jazz degree somewhere else and I like yeah. still all this stuff. It was like, no, you just haven't had an opportunity to like study any of these things. And so the, it was just like a mile long of all these courses that I had to take to essentially get a second bachelor's degree before I could start my master's coursework. 
And so, yeah, I remember being like, all right, like some of it came pretty easily, like jazz keys, because no one had ever really taught me the fundamentals of, um, of jazz. So the piano stuff was like easy, easy. Um, but then everything else was like completely new. And like, you know, I felt super exposed and vulnerable all the time. And I know something we've talked about is how I felt like though I was a master's student, I just didn't know anything yet. Really, like I was listening super widely, which was the only way I knew how to get you know, uh, an education in jazz was just like, I'll just listen as much as I can. Um, but I didn't know the first thing about like improv or just really anything else. Um, and I was lucky to, I auditioned for jazz singers my second semester at UNT. And I feel like I was a great sight reader, which was I think the only reason that I made jazz singers was like, okay, show me a part and I can sing it. Um, And so I think, you know, the things that I had that were working for me were like working really well. And the rest of it was like kind of terrifying at that point. (laughs) Hard. It's really hard. And I, I think if your experience is anything like mine, um, you, I, I wish I could like interview everyone that was like new at the same time as me and ask like, how scared were you? Um, Because I feel like there's like this unspoken thing where you're like, you're not supposed to really talk about how scared you are. (laughs) Yes. No one's talking about it. (laughs) Totally. And that's so funny because that's something I think about a lot. And even just like when you ask me, um, to be on your podcast. I, that was like one of the first things I, I thought about was just that, like, you know, fake it till you make it. And that was advice that I've never given. And I've never been able to take, like, if I feel uncomfortable about something like, sure. Yeah. Like in some situations you have to be able to just give off the illusion of confidence, but just navigating my life from day to day, I was like, you know what, if I don't feel confident in something, I can't, I can't really fake it. Like I've never been good at, um, yeah, I've never been good at, at that. And, and I, well, this is a whole, I know we could talk about that forever. Maybe we will, <laughs> but yeah, as, as we've talked about, I think there were some people who were just completely unfazed by UNT's program yeah. and they were able to just like barrel through and they could create pretty, um, you know, their creativity was unhindered by, um, the, the, the UNT-ness of it. <laughs> the UNT-ness of it all, right? Like, <laughs> and, For the and I just, um, but yeah, let's, let's just stop and, and just briefly in North Texas is like, one could argue the the best jazz program in the world, maybe depending on your instrument or depending on exactly the years that you're going there, um, or just depending on what kind of jazz you like, I guess. Um, and certainly it's like the biggest, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's an insane amount of competition. The best, you know, kids on every instrument from like all over the world are there 
and it's a lot really quickly. And there are things like, for example, you can't pass your class unless you get an A or a B and there's no flexibility about it. It's like, this is what an A level is in this class. And like, we will not make adjustments for you. Yeah. Um, and when you come in as a person who like, you know, so I think like what Catherine is saying about like some kids were unfazed by it. I think, I think a lot of the kids that were unfazed by it were um, kids who had band directors maybe who had gone there or like were hip to it or kids whose parents were professional musicians as well or some combination of those things where like they were prepared for like how intense it was gonna be. And then you have other kids who like love music and land there and are like, oh, I'm so happy and excited to be here, but like, what have I done? Yes, yes. <laughs> and like, I must not be found out. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, and you know, I, it doesn't have to be, like this interview doesn't have to be like about that, but I do think it's a really specific kind of thing um, and a really specific kind of resilience that is worth talking about that like, I don't know that I could talk about this with anyone else that I've interviewed because um, I don't know enough about like the specific cultures of their backgrounds, but I know about the specific culture of yours. And so it's a thing that like we can talk about. Um, but yeah, so you were, you were saying that you were scared and then like, how, how did you, oh, and that you couldn't fake it, which like, fine. Right? Totally. <laughs> fine. Totally. Like, I mean, I think like, that's why I like, I, I joke, like, I'm not kidding really when like, I wish I could get a survey of like, how many of us were faking it well? And how many of us were just not fake, not able to fake it at all. And then what did that mean to us? Um, because yeah, I mean, I think like if you're a person who like doesn't know how to fake it, you might actually feel like your skill set might actually be exactly the same as someone who's faking it well, but you think you're kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> yes. Totally. And like you said, I feel like it was sort of this like it wasn't talked about because I feel like to talk about it somehow like if people weren't thinking that about you then they would obviously be if you were the one to bring it up or to feel like oh my god what if I don't belong here or like and I think there was also you know people's there's like always a cap on somebody's like natural ability like and people will discover that cap at different points in their life right where you're like oh I've been able to get by on natural ability since like from here until here. And I think there were still people at UNT who were still able to ride on their natural ability for a while, or like they went to a magnet high school, or like you said, they came from a family of professional musicians. And I felt like that, that cap on my ability as a singer, I like discovered that pretty early. And then I was like, Oh man, I'm really going to have to work if I want to do this, or I'm really going to have to, I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. I think, um, I think people kind of, most people will come to that at some point where they're like, oh man, I have to, I have to really, really work now. Um, if I cut it doing this, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that exactly. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think where you're going with it is like, 
you you knew right away that it was going to be like work and you know even just like I, like I have this distinct memory of like and I I mean I guess it's not that distinct because I don't remember who it was about but I have a memory of like someone telling me that like you know one of our classmates had like his dad was a professional musician and it, this was a person that I had known and like been in classes with for like several years like I I hand to God like I don't remember who it was I just remember like the situation um and I remember being like what <laughs> like how could I have not known that and if I had known that I would have felt so differently and I wouldn't have tried to compare myself to that person <laughs> like oh, I would have just been like of course he's better at this than me yeah totally <laughs> it's just um, a completely different experience yeah, and if there's one thing that like I think is a good moral about that is just like, you know, I, I don't I don't imagine that that guy was trying to like keep a secret. It just was like incidental to him. Um, it was meaningful to me in a way it was never going to be meaningful to him. So like people are never going to tell you the advantages that they have because they don't think about it like that. Um, and I think probably there's, there's a reverse to that as well. Um, like people are never going to tell you, or maybe you wouldn't guess like, which are the things that this person had to like fight for. Um, Mm. and because we're walking around the world, not knowing which things people are confident about because they like busted their butt to get confident about it and which things they're confident about because they've never thought about it. It's just like, I've always been good at this. Um, and I think maybe my point is just like the more that I learned to just be like, I don't know what that person's bag is. It's so healthy for me. <laughs> like I, I wish so much that someone would have just told me that when I was like 19. <laughs> totally. Yes. I think the things that I'm interested in generally are like, what are the lessons that like allowed you to like just get good at the thing you're good at? Um, and then like, how does your like relationship with art and creativity like coincide or not with that? Um, mm-hmm. And then like, what is it like being a professional at the thing you do? So maybe just like, is there anything else that you want to talk about about your North Texas years of like, you know, skill building? or creativity and art stuff? Sure. I, I think, um, well, I guess my first year at UNT, you know, I had my laundry list of deficiencies that UNT mailed me. <laughs> and so I was doing all this catch-up work where it's like, we know you can't really catch up. There's no catching up. It was accelerated. And I just remember being like, oh man, I just figured out how to sing without tension. And like, and like develop vibrato. And then it was like, okay, now sing bebop lines. And I was like, oh my God, how do you sing a bebop? Like, it was just not like, and so then I like didn't know how to sing straight tone anymore. Cause I had spent like four years trying to figure out how to stop singing with like my tongue bunched up in the back of my mouth. Um, so it was just like, technically I felt very frustrated in the beginning. And I was just like, okay, I'm just going to practice this for a lot, a lot, a lot of hours. Um, you know, and 
I think uh, that first year was really, really tough because I was just playing catch up, but I was also doing something that was kind of completely new to me. Like, you know, singing with a big band is not the same as learning Charlie Parker solos. Um, It's closer to musical theater than it is to straight ahead jazz. Um, So I think, yeah, that first year it was just like, kind of overwhelming, but I was still excited about it. So I didn't feel like as discouraged as I probably could have or should have. Um, and I think at that point during my, well, yeah, I really wasn't doing a lot of like writing music if, and not that that's the only way obviously to define creativity in music. Um, but I think in a lot of ways I, it was interesting because, you know, there was kind of this mentality and I don't know if it was true or if it was something that I was telling myself in my head, but I felt like there was a mentality that like these types of music are good and the rest of it is kind of like, it's not artistic or it's not worthwhile. And so, you know, I, I felt like even on a restaurant gig, you know, people will be like, oh yeah, you know, do you know any CCR, like <laughs> Creedence Clearwater Revival? And I'd be like, oh yeah, but you know, like we're playing jazz, so like. <laughs> I don't really do that. Yeah, that's not really my, and so it was almost this like, I don't even know what I was rebelling against. I, I think it was like, this jazz is art and this other music is less than, even though there was so much music that I loved that at that point, I think I was just convincing myself that somehow it was like, there was less value to it. Like I love old country music. Um, I love Madonna. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I I think it's worth, yeah. I think you're, you're bringing up a good thing. It's something that I need to like think about, but like, Yeah, I mean, okay, when you are in, like, such a concentrated music culture, or just an art culture, really, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, obviously, it doesn't have to be music, Um, you know, I talk, I talked with a lot of my guests about, like, taste, and, like, Mm -hmm. the difference between, like, skill and, like, taste, um, and, like, how subjective those things are, and, like, are, are there objective elements to it, and, yeah, I think when you are when you're young, um, you take on other people's taste, and it, it doesn't. I don't think it means it's inauthentic. It's just like you are excited and you are hungry, and you are so eager to like, um, like dive into like whatever world someone tells you. Like, this is amazing. Like, this is art. Like, this is magic. So I think that's extremely normal, and maybe even not necessary, but like, I don't know that there's anything wrong with it. Um, as long as at some point you like kind of realize that you are allowed to like disagree with it. Totally. Totally. And I, I do think like, I don't know why there was this sort of, the the thing that drew me to UNT, there were two things, and I know we've talked about this, but one was the idea that everyone's kind of in it together. So you're in improv class with instrumentalists. There's no distinction 
between singers and instrumentalists. And since I always kind of felt like an instrumentalist first, even though I didn't pursue piano or um, any instruments as like my primary, I still had this, like, I felt like an instrumentalist first. Yeah. And then um, the other thing was just like the approach to music. And so there, there seemed to be to me like a rejection of the commercialization of music, which some programs had more of like a, a commercial vibe or even like a show choir, swing choir kind mm -hmm. of feel to them. I knew that didn't appeal to me. Um, so like you said, UNT was the only place I auditioned like for graduate school, which was now I'm like, are you kidding? Like, why didn't you have a fallback? <laughs> but, but I think for me, I was like, well, if I don't get into UNT, there isn't another program that fits what I want out of a program. So I would just like find somebody to study with and learn as much as I can without getting a master's degree. I had the same kind of feeling. Well, I felt like because I was getting a bachelor's degree, if I don't get in, I'll study something else. Hmm. Yeah. Cause I felt the same way. Like it was academic in a way that was really like appealing to me. Yes, totally. What were you saying? I think I interrupted you. Oh no, that's okay. I mean, I think, um, yeah, let's see. What was the second thing? Um, I think you already said, I mean, yeah. oh yeah. And I think it, it had to do with, um, the, I think at this point I was sort of like rejecting anything that I felt was too like commercial or too showy or you're like, um, I, don't, I, I still think about like how much more money I could have made on restaurant gigs if I had just played music that other people wanted to hear instead of music that I wanted to work on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, no, I will take two choruses of a solo on there will never be another you and you will listen to it, restaurant goers. <laughs> like, and it's like, do people want to hear that? No, they probably wanted to hear CCR because I was like in Texas and they're just enjoying their pizza and their wine and you know and I I, th I think though at some point I was just like well this is what I want to play and deal with it I don't know I think you have to go through that I think that's my point like you know I I um as you definitely know like have a lot of kind of questions about which parts of my education were like really valuable and which parts were like things that I'm recovering from still <laughs> Um, but like, I do think that being in a place where people are so turned on about like the same thing, there's something really valuable about that. Because even if we were all like freaking out about the same, like post-bop fusion, whatever, um, everyone was so like motivated to just like bust their butts on that stuff. Um, yes which like, I think is really powerful, like coming into like almost this like group hype, you, you almost like need that in order to like get yourself to do stuff that like you wouldn't maybe want to do if you were like, but I just love Jeff Buckley, you know? Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Pop lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or even like, you know, forum, I felt like our forum class, which was just an opportunity for like small group performance. And um, yeah, there was a heavy arrangement um, aspect to it. 
some original compositions, but I felt like Forum was the time really that was like, okay, if you want to try something with a band, like now's the time. I feel like it was mandatory that you had at least one performance a semester with Forum. So it was kind of like dipping a toe in if you were too afraid to like go play at the greenhouse, which was um, a venue for for jazz and other kinds of music in town. Um, that was the time to do it. And I remember both of my forum groups, one of them was like, we did Nick Drake covers because I loved Nick Drake. And the other was like Beatles covers. And so a lot of it had nothing to do with jazz, but it was funny because I remember that being like, oh, cool. You know, I can do Nick Drake tunes, but then I just had like heavy anxiety about it where I'm like, but is it really that different than the album? And is anything I'm doing important? Does anyone care about this? Do I care about it? <laughs> you know, and so there was just everything I did. There was like, I don't know, I felt like there were 30 layers of just like second guessing it or being like, ugh, imposter syndrome. And, you know, is this really important? What I'm, I don't have anything important to say as an artist when I'm 24 or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, yes. Once again, I'm hearing you say things and I'm like, there is something really important here that I'm going to synthesize later. Um, but like, yeah, I, but I think, you know, yet again, like this is a, this is a perfect example of one of those things that I imagine almost every artist goes through some version of it. Um, but as you're in your own like world and you're also in, you're in your own world in this other world um, that is this totally concentrated place where the things that are valued there are these like extreme, like, and I mean extreme uh, showings of like, like extreme experimentation and extreme virtuosity. And like everything is so like, um, not mainstream in like any way. That's the value system. Um, working through that stuff when you're young. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways it inevitably is gonna leave you kind of looking back at it like, whoa, like that was weird. But also you got, you had to learn how to reason yourself into like, Nick Drake is valuable to me. Mm. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And it takes you like a couple of years later to like really believe that, <laughs> but like because yeah. you're going through it in such like a like a concentrate. Um, I don't know. I I think it's probably like a that question of like, is this valuable? Do I value it? Will other people value it? Does it matter if other people value it? I mean, if what other what's more like essentially like the artist's condition. Yeah. And that is such a good, that's a good, such a good point too. Like, I guess it's like, what is the purpose of making the thing is the purpose, the process of doing it is the purpose putting it out there so other people can experience it. Um, and I think that's different for different people and it could be a combination of those things. Yeah. Um, but man, I, yeah, there are just some people who I feel like don't, don't, if they, if they do second guess things they're doing, they don't show it. Yeah. Um, and I think that was always kind of 
interesting to me because I don't know, I come from a family of, of second guessers and regretters, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like nobody in my family can order anything without being like, Oh, but this other thing sounded good. What if that was better? And that's just like, kind of like if I had to synthesize my whole family experience into one thing, it would just be like second guessing and regretting. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's really an environment where like nobody can make a decision. And, and once they do, they're like, this was not the right decision. Like, <laughs> um, I think that has really informed my personality, unfortunately. Um, so it's something I've had to struggle with a lot throughout my life. It's just like, you know what, do a thing and just go with it and try not, you know, try not to think too hard about it. Because if you do, you'll talk yourself out of doing almost anything that's worthwhile. <laughs> Yeah, I think though, like that's that's also like an interesting thing to to acknowledge and to say, like, you know, um, my favorite interviews that I've done have been with people, you know, a bit older and wiser than me, who tell me some version of you can only make the art that you can make, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's another like perfect example of like, you know, someone who's not a second guesser or regretter. Like they're never going to think about things with like quite the sensitivity that you do. Um, So, I mean, yeah, I think like learning to like value that kind of stuff is like the work that we do like after we, you know, and I say we like you and me and not everybody because not everybody is in the same order, but you know, you, you, um, you, you, you get the skills figured out and then, start to start to kind of like reassess your artistry um let's like we've been talking for so long I was thinking like last night I was like should Catherine and I just do like an hour of chatting before we start recording because like yeah. <laughs> almost right talk forever um yeah. but uh let's let's move into like talking about this artifice stuff so if you listen to my podcast, you know that I never know how to ask these questions. <laughs> and I think we've probably already like touched on some of it, but I want to know, like, I think ultimately the thing that I want to know is like for a given artist, what, where, where is their um, like misunderstanding or where is their like, you know, when I think about artifice, I think like, you know, I think like, it's like, it's artifice. Like it can be, there's like, there can be beauty in it, you know? Um, So where do you feel in your life? And it it can be like, you know, like I talk sometimes about like, there are these points. There's like the point between you, the artist and the thing the artist makes. Like, what is that relationship? There's the point between like the things you make and how people like see them and understand them and then maybe make assumptions back about you. But like, where do you feel like there is artifice, like on purpose or not on purpose or anything in like what you do now as a, as a professional? Hmm. Oh, I had like 10 thoughts while you were asking <laughs> that question. It's like, oh, this, this, this. Um, I'm bad at that. I'm bad at asking that. I'm bad at it. I have not gotten better at it in, in the year I've been doing this. No, I think it's a, it's one. Wonderful. And I totally, it was that same idea as um, when we were talking about understanding concepts, where as you're talking, I was like, yeah. And then as it went on, it was like, 
wait, no, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think, I think there is no better way. I think you did really like you asked it the best way you could. It's just a complicated question. You know what I mean? It's complicated. I think, and it's something I spend, you know, I think about things almost to, almost, (laughs) almost to a fault. Um, so here, let me just start over. You can edit all this out of me being like, um, I don't know. I'm thinking, uh, will I refuse? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, here, wait, can you synthesize it again? Like, yeah, totally. And just so you know, almost everybody needs me to, because like, like, I I, I, I go back and forth of like, should I write down like three different ways to ask this question and risk like putting, like getting people's thoughts too boxed or should I just ask a question like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And like whatever people, and like, just assume that whatever people talk about is like the important thing. I don't know. Um, Cause that's what I'm kind of trying to do. But yeah, I mean, so with like artifice, I want to know like, what do we not see? Like, what do we not get? And, and it could be like, what do we not get? Or it could just be like, okay, here's the thing that like, is really easy for me or he's here's a thing that's really hard for me that you wouldn't expect or here's something about my process that like um is like not overt but is important or any you know whatever like where is the stuff that like we are not seeing that that is part of like an essential part of what you do good question i think one one thing that I could probably, you know, only within the last couple of years have I realized that I have anxiety. And I know we've, it's something we've talked about. Um, and I'm like the most laid back person with anxiety where I feel like a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know that about me because yeah. it's like I'm introverted. I don't, a lot of it's happening internally. Yeah. Um, and so it's something that I think throughout my life has been, you know, I feel like, and I don't know if this is okay, but I know it's something we've talked about a lot. And I know if you feel anxious about something, you just pour everything into it. And you're like, I'm going to learn everything about this thing. And I'm going to do everything I can. And I'm going to make and create. And like, you have really productive anxiety. (laughs) I feel like whereas mine is like internal, where like my anxiety just turns back in on itself. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait, why are you even trying to do anything at all? Like, you'll never be able to do this. And I think that's just one thing, like, I wish throughout my life, like, maybe I'd known about myself and maybe professors yeah. had known about me and, like, even any sort of acknowledgement of um, of mental health as it pertains yeah. to um, creation or creativity Um, because I think sometimes, and again, it's like, I don't know how much of this is my own narrative, but I think sometimes there's a perception that I'm not like trying hard enough or like, I'm not putting myself out enough or like, oh, you should be doing this or this. Um, when really it's just like fear based. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing. That's a part of me that I don't really, I mean, people who know me well know it and, um, but it's funny because I've mentioned it to other people I'm gigging with for the first time where I'm like, oh man, I'm so anxious. And they're like, what? I never would have known. Like, yeah. this is not, a thing I even knew was a thing or it'll look like 
you know, if I get anxious about something like it's under, like I'm underprepared or it's a preparation issue when really it's like, nope, I'm just super stressed out about this. And like, and, and so that's something that, um, and maybe I don't know how, how relevant that is, but to me, it's like a huge part of, um, yeah. I think it's super relevant. And, um, I have another question about it, but yeah, I mean, like the first thing that you, that I was thinking about when you're talking is like, yeah, I, you're, you're so right. And, and it, like, again, I think Catherine is one of the only people in the world who like genuinely gets this about me, but like, I have so much fear and insecurity and like, she's right. The way that I handle it is like, <laughs> I work and that, and it's not because I'm like any sort of better, like that is my coping mechanism. You know, like it's not a choice. It's not a choice. Like I have more anxiety when I like don't take action. Like me like taking action, like distracts myself from like the discomfort of that anxiety a little bit. Um, And I feel the older I get um, and in some ways, the more like success I have, like the more that I like accomplish, I feel dramatically misunderstood um, when I try to say to people, like, I'm scared, I feel bad. I feel like I'm not valuable. And people are like, Oh, come on, like get off it. If you, if you felt that way, you wouldn't be do you wouldn't be making these things. Um, and I'm like, no, I do it because I'm scared and lonely. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Like, um, so so what, so as you're talking, like, that's what I'm thinking about. And then I'm wanting to ask you, um, the way, like when you have this kind of like this anxiety that manifests itself in like taking away some of your, um, I don't know, like maybe some motivation or like the way that it, the way that it handles itself is like in a bit of paralysis for you. Um, <clears throat> How does that inform the art that you make? Like, what is the relationship between that, like, private thing that you know about yourself and, like, the art that you are making? Sure. I think it changes. Um, I think that changes a bit. I, I think when I have kind of lower pressure gigs, like, I have a Friday night restaurant gig that I play with a friend where it's really an opportunity for stretching and being creative and you can try anything. And honestly, if it falls apart halfway through, nobody cares. And it's just like such a, you know, you can really, I think where I can take risks, um, that, that is really, really valuable. Um, and I, I, I think it's interesting because for me, the interesting part about music or the part that appeals to me the most is the doing of it. Like I don't necessarily even enjoy performing, but I love being a vehicle for a lyric for storytelling. Um, I love the feeling of connecting to a story while I'm singing. And so I think it's interesting because sometimes on gigs, I'm using, I'm picking tunes and I'm letting my mood inform the song choices that I'm making. So if I'm like really having kind of like a dark week, 
I just like lean into it and people are like, wow, how'd you sing that ballad? And I'm like, I'm really depressed. <laughs> That's how, you know, we're like, oh, this, this or that. And, and I think sometimes, um, yeah, just using music really directly to process how you're feeling um, can be cool. And it's, I, I, another thing that's sort of interesting is I avoided the, the jobbing, like the commercial gig for so long. Um, because I had like a lot of, a lot of insecurities about like, can I, first of all, technically, do I have the ability to sing this kind of music, you know, night after night without damaging my voice? I'm not sure. And secondly, a lot of it felt like people just phoning stuff in. And I was like, never interested in music that was strictly performance-based where you're just performing for like one specific reason, but you're not feeling connected to it. So I've always had a, a difficult time in situations where I felt like I couldn't bring myself into the, and of course with everything, there's always a way to bring yourself into it. And it's, it's kind of a choice you make, like, am I phoning it in or am I connecting to what I'm doing, no matter what you're doing, which I, I know that now. Yeah. Um, but I think it's funny because I always felt like avoiding these things where I felt like I couldn't be myself enough. So it felt too, yeah. um, too vulnerable and yeah. like a weird way. But then like on the other side of it, when I'm singing music that I've written, it feels so vulnerable that I'm like, Ooh, this is also bad. So there's just this like tiny little overlap of being like, this is just enough, you know, yeah. where like, it still feels good for me. Maybe other people, we'll see some sort of value in it too, but it's just, it's hard to find that middle ground for me. Yeah. I really like to hear artists talk about the stuff that is difficult. Like, I think it's really brave. Um, I, I interview a lot of people who like, when I try to ask them like what's hard for them in their day-to-day -day life, they will like, they won't answer the question. They'll be like, well, what you have to do is, and it's like, they think I'm asking them to like answer the question for like other artists or like students. <laughs> Mm. And I was just want to be like, bullshit. <laughs> like, you are stressed out about stuff. I know you are. Like, what is it? Um, yeah, I, I think that's, I just, I think it's really powerful. I think it's really powerful to talk about, like, the things that you, um, like, what your internal monologue is with some of those things. Because I think you're right. Like, someone watching you. Um, would make totally different guesses. Like, and what's more like artifice than that? You know, like someone watching you, right? Um, I like it. Uh, can you tell me like in what ways you feel like you exercise creativity in like your daily brain? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like creativity is always just been a part of everything I'm doing because of how I see the world. And I think they're, I don't know. I think I've always had like a playful quality mentally, um, mentally playful. And so, and it also helps just like having a partner who's the same way. Like Jake is so willing and like excited to kind of play off of that. Yeah. So I think for me, you know, there are, a lot of different mediums I have for creativity, but really it's, you know, it's just a, it's a muscle. And so the more you exercise it, you know, the stronger it gets. And I think 
it's really nice to be able to just on a daily basis kind of let myself be stream of consciousness or play these mental games or, you know, it's like also being trapped in our houses. Jake, I'm at my keyboard and Jake will be like, oh yeah, write Harriet's theme song or like pretend there's a musical about Jaws and like Jaws is misunderstood and you're like writing his ballad that he's like, and so I love these like spontaneous, anytime I can create without pressure, that's like my favorite kind of, and I, I think that's, yeah, that's totally a thing, right? It's like, like the pressure for me just like crushes everything that's good about music and about um, about creativity. And so, yeah, I think without even meaning to, I sort of got to the center of that idea, which is like any, any way that I can create that is less, um, there's less pressure. That's, that's always the best, you know, it's like, you're not going to, when you're singing someone's like first dance at their wedding, like you're just not like, you're going to do it the way that they do it on the record or the way that you like, they're just certain, there's so many opportunities um, as a professional musician to experiment, but then there are just as many where like, you really can't take chances, I think. Yeah, and I think like, um, I think there's creativity even just living in like that question of like, like how, how creative do you have to be to go like, all right, well, where am I going to find like places that have less pressure or like, you know, where am I going to like, um, I'm sneezing. Um, where, where am I, where am I going to like, uh, just like squeeze out little moments of creativity on my wedding gig. And where am I going to like, where am I going to get like, where am I going to manufacture art when I'm teaching my high school students? And how am I going to like um, connect this like magical conversation, like playtime, whatever I'm having with my, with my boyfriend. Um, And then like later, like repurpose some of that like magical energy into like songwriting. That's creativity too. Yeah. I've had, I think, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, I think because it's such a part of my life, I don't often think about creativity. Like I don't think about creativity in that way because it is just such a part of like who I am as a person, but you're completely right. Like in teaching and doing, like you always have to kind of find the creativity in different situations. And I think there's so much of it that I, I haven't even like acknowledged as, as creativity. Um, just because it's not in like the typical medium or it's so kind of intertwined with my like day to day that I don't think about it that way, but it totally is. I think that's like, that belongs in like the artifice discussion too, because like you're an artist and part of the like, you know, there's, there's an, there's an enigmatic quality to like artists. And I think it's sometimes it happens because even like we have a hard time understanding what it is that we're even doing because you know some of it maybe is natural some of it maybe is like we cultivated it through these weird situations and it's your family and it's your education and it's that one teacher you had but like we are doing creative stuff all day 
in these like weird ways and like the actual creation like in your medium that people like acknowledge as your creativity is just like this branch of it but like it's only possible because like you're doing all this other stuff um which is why I think like you know even considering like you know, the way that like the, the narrative that you kind of talk to yourself about or that maybe buzzes around you um, with like this fear and anxiety kind of stuff, like certainly you have learned how to like, you have learned a lot of skills like around that that are like uh-huh. totally unique to you and that like inform what you do and inform your teaching and inform like whatever, you know, how you listen on the bandstand, how you like look at other people and wonder like, are you scared? Like, like I'm sure that it just like, it makes you do stuff that like is kind of special, that like is sort of invisible. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I do think, no, I think that's beautiful. That's such a beautiful, um, it's a really beautiful way to look at it. Um, because I think it can be easy for certain parts of your experience to seem completely like a negative and not like they've informed you as an artist and actually can add something really unique. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do think, man, it's, this is so funny. And I, I feel this way just as a listener too, where I'm like, but I just had like 40 ideas of like, we could have gone down like any number of paths with like the last 30 things that you said, where I'm like, wait, this, but this other thing that's important to everything. Um, and it's just hard. It's really, and maybe that's the whole point of it all is it's really hard to, to focus it and to synthesize it because there's so much, there's so much to it. And there's so much to, living a creative life and even separate from just being a professional artist or musician. There's, there's just so, there's so much to it. Um, I like it. I think it's really important. And that's, that's why I just, I want for people who aren't in the habit of being creative and thinking creatively to hear, to like maybe hear artists talk about it and then be like, oh, that's what it's like? Oh, like, I can, okay. You know, <laughs> like, it, or I'm already doing that and I just didn't think of it as creativity. Right, yes, 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 yes. I'm so, I don't know, I feel like it's so important like in our, you know, like just our, like I, I feel like humanity, like in the way that, like I don't mean as a species, but like, humanity like as a value and like as a morality um and creativity are like really inextricable um I just feel like that's true uh like creativity is like the thing that like makes us like human yeah and I just want people to do more of it and I and I want people did I lose you nope you're good sorry and, and I want to like acknowledge that it's not easy and that it's messy and that it's confusing and that it's totally individual and that like sometimes it gets a little broken and then sometimes you like refigure it out and you know, whatever. I just think it's important. Totally. 
Is there anything else that you want to say? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I don't, I know we've already been talking for so many hours, it's my but, uh, you're my favorite. But I think, <laughs> you're my favorite. <laughs> I think, you know, one thing for me, that's a, a huge thing over the last year or so is just now in my life. Am I starting to like perform original music in front of people? Um, which is just like, so late in the game, it feels like, where I'm like, well, if I really wanted to do this, like, wouldn't I have just been doing it already? And I remember back in college, there was like one song I played on a forum and people were like, oh yeah, like that song about that, like, that was great. And I was like, stop being nice to me. Like, because <laughs> you just think, you know what I mean? Where if like, whatever you, whatever value you think something you've created has, and just like you were saying earlier, it doesn't matter what people say to you, if you have that narrative in your head, like, oh, I don't think this was good or it wasn't worthwhile or you know what, it only took me 30 minutes to write it. And so like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like it doesn't have any value. But um, I, yeah, I think, you know, one thing that's been difficult for me is as an artist and as a performer and just as a person, I've always felt like I have this very specific wheelhouse and the things that I feel good about doing I feel great about and I'm like I know I'm proficient in this thing that what a clinical word to use I feel proficient singing straight ahead jazz gigs and like doing this thing or this thing right but then it's like such a different thing and it, it seems like it should be easier in a way to perform music that like you've written um but I think it's it's been so so vulnerable and almost more vulnerable than it seems like it should be. Like I've been playing piano since I was in first grade. Um, and I've been playing and singing since like probably around the same time, but then there's something, you know, once the camera gets turned on me or once somebody's watching or listening intently, it changes the whole experience for me. And, um, and I think like, that's been something that I've really struggled with, but I'm really trying to get past and like, and also just, um, I don't know, memorizing like chords and like, I, I think there's a whole other, yeah. Like that's the thing that would stress me out is I'm like, am I going to remember the chords to this song that I've written? Um, and I can, you know, it's like, I can like sight read Mozart in both hands, but I like, I'm afraid I'm going to forget like a one, four, five progression while I'm singing in front of people. <laughs> and I think like that, it's just so silly. Like the pressure that I've kind of put on myself about this. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it is getting easier and even just trying to make like promotional videos, like I'll be recording myself and I'm like, wow, the second nobody's even watching. And the second I turn a camera on, I'm like, Oh no, it's like 60% of what it is when nobody's watching me or I know nobody's going to see it. I can just enjoy the process of making music. And so I think there is this like misconception or maybe it's true for most people that like people get into performance because they love having an audience or they love being watched. And I'm like, you know, it was just a necessary part of it because I love the music making yeah. and I love singing, yeah. but I don't, I don't really love like the, the audience aspect of it. Like I'm not comfortable with it yet unless I'm like background music or like, 
the the attention of it is really uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like, and I've been, I've been um, taking all these digital marketing classes, which I, you know, I feel very creative about it. Like, I feel like I'm approaching it. Like it's a, like it's a new medium. Um, yeah. I've been making like hella videos recently for like all of these, like Facebook ads that I'm like trying to figure out how to do. And oh my gosh, it's so uncomfortable. I'll have to do like 35 takes. And then the take that I pick is like still kind of awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I totally get it. And honestly, every time I'm like, oh, I wish I just had a reel of all my like outtakes (laughs) because you know, right. And it's like, we're always trying to strike this balance. Like you have to be professional. You just have to, but it feels to some degree you have to, right? Like but then it just feels so like a lie. Anytime yeah. I'm like too professional or too polished, I'm like, we both know that this is not, is not me. Right. So that's yeah. the struggle too. Is like, like, how can I still be myself, yeah. but like our professional version of myself, which is something I've always kind of struggled with. I think so hard. I think lately, like the, the thing that I'm doing like this year, since I like stopped teaching at BYU Um, I am trying to like apply full radical acceptance. I'm trying to just like be as like, you know, you know, authentic, meaning like today's authentic, like whatever today is like all the time, like hard, hardcore, like honest. And, um, it is messy business, (laughs) you know? Yeah, because, and like what, um, the interview you did with Shannon, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like just talking to myself the whole time. I'm like, yes, I know the feeling about everything. But I mean, just even that like one day and, and like Jake lives with it. He understands because like, he's my roommate. Um, but I think there's this thing where one day I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. And like, my voice feels amazing. And my gig was so great. And then the next day I'm just like, I'm shit and I'm ugly and everything's horrible. And like, and just the, you know, the artist temperament, right? Like it's so normal. That's why like, I love talking about it. I will never get bored of it. Even if it's cliche, (laughs) because it just is true. And I like it's that same like once again it's that same like hard on your sleeve thing that like lets you write the music that you do write and like because you Catherine are like thoughtful and sensitive in like the best way like you know maybe you're not a songwriter who's just like cranking stuff out all the time because but like every song that you do write is like a little treasure because like it has gone through this like extreme like extreme like testing grounds in order to like get itself into existence you're you're like Beethoven that way (laughs) well I wasn't gonna make the comparison myself but no I'm just kidding (laughs) I mean no parts of things but Catherine you're a Beethoven (laughs) and this is a whole other tangent but there was a Malcolm Gladwell um his revisionist history podcast where he, he compares um oh it was like Dylan yeah to Picasso right and then it was like Leonard Cohen to Cezanne and I think that was really validating for me because I was like oh yeah like Leonard Cohen would just write and write and write and rewrite and and like it was never really 
good enough. And I, I do feel like there's that thing with me where I'm like, I have a compulsion to create. I want to create. But then as soon as I've done it, I'm like, oh, no, it, I want it back. Like, I don't think it was ready. Or I don't think people, maybe it's just enough to make it and like have it live in my brain or my notebook or on a voice memo. Like maybe it doesn't need to be um, for other people. I don't know. Yeah, but that's its own. I mean, like that's its own type of like, that's its own thing. That's like, you know, history has proven like is really valuable. Um, Thanks for being one of those. Um, Okay. The last thing I always ask everybody is on this perfect day of quarantine, what is your dream collaboration? You can have anyone you want. They can be alive. They can be dead. You can do mixed media. What is your dream collaboration? Oh, wow. I should have been prepared for this question, but I'm just, whatever it is today, right, is what it's going to be. Man, you know, I, you know me and like, I, I've kind of struggled with like my two favorite types and genres of music being completely disparate. Like I love jazz and I love like folk and country music, Um, which, you know, on the one hand, you have this really harmonically complex um, stuff. And then on the other hand, it's like really sparse, uh, harmonically sparse, but like really rich lyrically, not to say that they can't, there's not overlap, but, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, oh, I don't know. It would be like a, like a Bill Frizzell, uh, Nora Jones, Chris Thiele, like super group Whoa. with, um, <laughs> with like Becca Stevens, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Some like jazz. Yeah. Extreme, like, um, yeah, like the, uh, like the traveling Wilburys of like, of like the folk jazz crossover <laughs> world. That's awesome. I was hoping you were going to say Chris Thiele. Um, do you know Chris Thiele has an album with Brad Meldow? Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. Chris Thiele singing Don't Think Twice It's All Right is like one of my favorite things that exists. <laughs> and he's just like such an inspiring example of someone who can be so technically proficient, but can really, really, really just like, touch people too and he's like really connected to what he's doing even if it's something that seems silly or if it's like a high art form like he can kind of he's got the whole yeah the whole I used to um before he got me too my dream was to be like just a like a side person on a Ryan Adams album Ryan I thought you were gonna say Chris Thiele got me too and I was gonna oh no 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 no. I'm so sorry what (laughs) nope no no but Ryan Adams uh his like kind of uh, abusive marriage to Mandy Moore came out recently and also like I know and also just other creepy stuff but musically that was always kind of my like oh I'll just like be a background singer and play keys on like Ryan Adams stuff um but like yeah to me like Nora Jones has kind of been she's like living the life where she can do both things super well and she's not afraid to branch out and she really is like I was just talking about her with someone else the other day she's such a perfect example of like you know it's about the music and it's not about like her ego it's so pure totally um she taught herself guitar that's I heard that's I would 
maybe you were listening to the same podcast that this other person was telling me about. Um, I didn't hear it, but I swear, like the other person that was talking about Nora Jones with me said she taught herself to play guitar. So, oh yeah, it's in the shared consciousness. It's in the shared consciousness right now. <laughs> okay, Catherine, yeah, everybody, where to find your stuff? So I'm actually I'm working on an album of original music right now uh, that we're hoping would be out already. Um, but it's not, but it should be before the end of the year if this quarantine gets lifted soon and we can get back in the studio. Um, so my original music project is called The Wild, Wild Rumors. Let me try that again. My original music project is called The Wild Rumors uh, with another UNT graduate, Josh Murtha. Um, we've both written original music for it. I'm playing keys, he's playing guitar. Uh, we have a full band. It's more like folky, rootsy music. Rumors is such a perfect name. <gasps> Funny story. Thank you for saying that. I cannot tell you how difficult it is to name a band because my my first 20 choices, they're like, oh, well, this was a band in England in 1964. And we're like, this website already exists and they sell home goods. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, just weird stuff so hard to pick a an original band name um so I've gone back and forth on it but thank you for for the validation (laughs) love it I think it's it's perfect it's like the first time I saw it like on Facebook I was like oh yeah yes yes oh oh, thank you (laughs) we did zero focus group testing (laughs) I love it I love it well, Catherine, thank you so much for being on my podcast, my first ever Zoom podcast. I was so nervous about it. And, um, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I love you. And we'll, I you. when I come to Chicago, we'll do like another, we'll do like a re interview in person. Oh my gosh, that would be wonderful. Also, happy birthday. And I'm so excited for your album. I cannot wait. Everything you've put out so far, I've just been like, Emily, I'm so excited. Like, it's so comprehensive and just like so different. And I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Let's do like, let's do like a little bye to the listeners and then we can keep talking for a second. Okay. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our music is by Jerem Hansen and artwork by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.